Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Hey, I'm all right. How are you doing? <laughs> Not too bad. Good, good. Um, yeah, so we've got another podcast to, uh, to drop. Um, today's uh, episode is with uh, David Johnston from the bodybuilding world. I came across him, um, well, I said away, I came across him, I think, in the, in, in the intro for the show. So yeah, a bit of a different uh, different route for us, but he does talk about his love for rock music, so uh, that's uh, all good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it'd be good. Uh, be a good listen, I think, because he's uh, he's been through a lot, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, from uh, being very successful to, I think, probably losing almost all of it, mm. and then uh, yeah, obviously, not only with. Uh, with his business, but also being a bodybuilder and losing his physique, also. Yeah, happens to all of us. Yeah, you know, I was like, when I just well, when I put this T-shirt on, and I see it was two thousand and nineteen. So I'll, I'll talk about this after the podcast. But I remember last time I wore it, I didn't have tits. I'm not quite sure where they've come from, but obviously they they're um, lockdown boobs. Estrogen. Yeah. But now I'm <laughs> turning into a woman. That's right. <laughs> <Here> we are. <laughs> They're definitely not bodybuilding ones, unfortunately. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, this is a really long interview. So uh, yeah, probably should cut to the chase. Yeah, we'll keep this keep this short because um, yeah, it's a very very good. Very good lesson, and um, said I was I was intrigued all the way through it to be honest, because uh, Dave's got a lot of lot to say, but also it's um, some good messages in there as well. So yeah, I hope people are people enjoy it. Yeah, I think the messages come pretty much at the end, but uh, well, you know, we did try to bring them up a few times, but yeah, it's, it's I enjoyed it. It's a good, it was a good lesson. So yeah, definitely. Okay, all right, Coolio, we'll cut to the chase. Yep. So hello guys, and we're just chopping this morning with uh, David and David. We've got David Johnson on with us, very pleased to have him. He's uh, very well known in the bodybuilding circles. He was a very decent amateur bodybuilder, a more, de a more decent um, bodybuilding coach. He was on Geared Up, which is one of the most, probably the most famous bodybuilding podcast uh, in the bodybuilding world. I think it had the most downloads. Uh, over the over the few years that it was running, uh, he's also he also likes rock music, so that's always a, a bonus for David and myself. And uh, yeah, so say good morning, hello, David. Hey, how you doing? We're doing all good, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. <laughs> morning, guys. Hey, how are you? Hey, so tell us, Dave, how do you get? Uh, how is your passion for rock music? Uh, how, how did it come about? Yeah. Um, I was born into a musical family. My father um, grew up very young playing the guitar. Um, I won't say he was ever incredibly good, but it was just his, you know, dying passion. And what really bonded my parents together in huge part, they met very young and they were both huge Beatles fans. Okay, yeah. So they loved the Beatles and my parents were legitimate, you know, old hippies <clears throat> who grew up in the 60s and 70s, including all the 
hallucinogens and acid trips and all the psychedelic music and all the rock music and went to all the concerts. So when I was born, you know, I was born in 79, I was born into that where there was always vinyl spinning in our house all hours of the day, morning to night. Um, huge record collection, Hendrix, Stones, Beatles, Who, Zeppelin, plus a lot more obscure stuff. But, you know, your real meat and potatoes, classic rock. Um, yeah. And I just listened to that from absolute birth. So I remember by the time I was four years old, one day, there was a Beatles song on the radio. And I was <clears throat> singing along with it. My dad looked over at me in, in surprise. And he's like, you can sing that and you can hear those melodies and harmonies. I'm like, yeah. So I'd kind of developed really good meter and natural um, not perfect not perfect pitch but relative pitch mm -hmm. I, you know so i could like pull up exactly where a song was even without hearing the song which okay. you know i had musical yeah. i had musical abilities that a lot of drummers don't have kind of had that young and i started pulling out sets of pots and pans in the kitchen when i was like three four years old and setting them up like a makeshift drum set yeah. and yeah. playing playing on them with a set of wooden spoons Okay. So I just kind of, I started playing the drums, so to speak, when I was like four years old, if you will. <laughs> and um, yeah, just grew up in a musical household. And the cool thing about our household too was even though it was mostly classic rock, my parents were very kind of hip and open to different genres. So there was anything that pertained to rock, meaning like we grew up on a lot of Motown, we grew up on a lot of like 50s era rock, doo-wop, yeah, yeah. um, folk rock, um, but they kind of stayed current into, you know, because a lot of people, when they hit like 30, stop updating their music. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Whereas my parents actually continued into the 80s and even the 90s to like follow what was good and current. So I grew up on like Tom Petty and yeah, Jack yeah. Mellencamp and all the good 80s rock and all that so yeah. which then segued to like hair rock hair rock you know, <laughs> became my yeah. thing once I yeah, was yeah. once I was nine years old I think eight or nine eight years old I got my first Guns N' Roses cassette and awesome. I was just I was just gone to the races yeah no turning no turning back so uh, actually as a baby you were probably rocking in the cradle <laughs> so to speak yeah. no mom seriously my mom seriously always said that like when she was pregnant with me i would kick along to the rhythm of the songs yeah. that they were listening to so i found that kind of funny yep. yeah that's cool man. Born into me. yeah i'm a bit older than you so uh you know i grew up exploring music um a bit before that you know when were you born? I was born in 66. Okay, so you got 13 years on me. So you're right in between <clears throat> my father and I. Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was he was he was born in 53. Oh, okay. So he yeah, was, yeah. so he was kind of in his adolescence right around when you were born, but then probably continued to listen to the music that you started listening to when you hit whatever age. Yeah. You started yeah. Find, you started finding your roots. What were some of your like well, I found Major. music really young because I had a, a very young mother. I mean, my mother was only 17 when she had me, so... Uh, okay. And she was a bit of a, a, bit of a rebel uh, 
at the time as well, you know. And she was always hanging around with guys on motorbikes and especially my uncle Terry he had a motorbike. And uh, so she was always into, into the latest music. And then, I mean, I, I explained to David that I remember, I, I don't know, that was in, 19, I was eight, I think in 1974. I remember bringing home um, Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, as a seven inch single. Yeah. And playing it to death on the record player, you know, but I always had, oh, I, I, must, I think I must have had about 150 singles from the 50s, 60s and early 70s. By the time I was ten years old, you know. So who were who were like? Would you say would be, you know, in your top five uh, major impactful bands growing up or or growing that up? stood out? Uh, yeah, like I who, think who who would you really cut your teeth with? Probably. Give me an, give me an idea. Yeah, well, the Beatles will have to be in there because everybody listens to the Beatles. You know, it gets drummed yeah. into you from a young age. I think, if, especially when you're my age, Elvis yeah. Presley also. I mean, that, yeah, that yeah. was everybody's favourite. Um, yep. I wasn't really, uh, as a young kid, I wasn't really into the Stones too much. Uh, okay. Queen also, I liked a lot of Queen stuff as a kid. Yeah. And then as I was getting into my teens, it was I was cutting my teeth <clears> on <throat> punk music and uh, <clears throat> bands like the Sex Pistols and the Damned. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, but I also like really, really, I got such a varied range. You know, I was really into Bob Dylan. As well, when I was like 12 or 13, <laughs> you know, That's so it's such a, such a wild. I always, yeah, yeah. I always mix. get my, my, my father specifically loved Bob Dylan. Both my parents liked him a lot, but my father loved him. And I used to always bust his chops when I was younger and say, Bob Dylan sucks. <laughs> and, and, and he'd be like, he's a great poet. He's a great writer. I'm like, then he should stick to writing books, but he's a horrible singer. So yeah. <laughs> Fair play, couldn't sing, but... Uh... <clears throat> yeah, well, and I noticed this trend in a lot of bands where you have a leader of the band who just has this dynamic energy and core. Like, I think another good example is Dave Matthews' band. For years, I couldn't tolerate that band because yeah. his voice just didn't hang with the quality of the music. You know, I felt yeah. it, like, brought it, it brought it down. It was, like, stupid and playful instead of, like, truly dynamic and uplifting i eventually got past it i can appreciate them now but but i've noticed you know a lot of bands like that where they let this guy sing even though it's yeah, clearly yeah. not clearly not meant to sing but i think but i think I by guess, the time i was 15 or so i think i had about 20 bob dylan albums you know and okay. uh but then obviously with the hair rock I, you know i cut my teeth also on iron maiden love motorhead yep. and yep. so it's such a such a wide wide scale of music really from Bob Dylan to sure. Motorhead is, you know, is, is, is huge. So, uh, oh, now I'm right there with you. I mean, like I grew up with a lot of Bob Dylan. He wasn't my, my top choice, but you know, a lot of Bob Dylan, James Taylor. Yeah. Um, geez, who else is it? Cat Williams. Yeah. Or no, not Cat. Cat Stevens. Cat, Cat Stevens. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a ton of, a ton of folk rock. Yeah. Um, and mellower stuff too. Yeah. But but then you know like I developed to the point where it was to Slayer and Meshuggah and you know some extreme. Not I never really got into like death metal. Okay. But but I was into you know my cup of tea as I got older became past hair rock then it became some grunge, but also just some straight thrash, of course Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, Pantera. Yeah. yeah. All of that. 
<clears throat> but I also was so once I started playing music at the age of nine or ten playing the drums I kind of advanced so rapidly that I was a big fan of like progressive anything progressive rock progressive metal okay. you know yeah. um, more, more technical stuff and that kind yeah. of remains tr true to this day like so. Russian stuff you like Rush <clears throat> yeah I um and I had an appreciation for him when I was young like yeah. You know, his voice weirded me out. I could tell it was... <laughs> He's definitely not I a voice could, man. <laughs> like, I, I could tell it was nothing to be like, yeah, his voice does it for me. Like, yeah, he didn't yeah. have the sw swagger of an Axl Rose by any means. Yeah, but Neil Peart, you know. Right. But even when I was, like, 10 years old, I remember I was taking drum lessons from this lady, and I was just eating them up, progressing super fast at the age of... No, I was probably 12, so I'd probably been playing for two years. And they don't make drum transcription music like they do guitar transcription music for most bands. Okay. You know, like if, if you want to learn Metallica's Master of Puppets and you play the guitar. Yeah, you can look at nowadays, the now, yeah. yeah, nowadays you just go on, on YouTube and find someone else who's playing it and copy them. But, but you used to be able to find found music books that yeah, have yeah. the actual tabs in them. But they never had that for drums right um the only exception being rush had okay. you know, an actual okay. drum drum transcription book and i was like oh shit i'm gonna buy that so i remember actually learning tom sawyer note for note you know beginning yeah. to end wow. when i was pretty pretty young um but yeah it was just uh it, it was similar to bodybuilding it was the challenge of it yeah, you know, yeah. wanting to be able to play something more technical and yeah. all that. So, yeah, I mean, the, the yeah. other David's uh, musical background isn't quite as eclectic as ours, I don't think. No, it's um, mine was uh, it was always sort of that sort of music in the household. So my, my father was into the Rolling Stones and the Who and the Beatles and bands like that. So that was kind of like always in the background. But um, very early doors, I say the Terry Uda, I was a massive Michael Jackson fan. Massive. Well, I was remember. I, yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. I, I just I, thought kinda, the guy was amazing. So you know, and then I and then forgot when, I got a, yeah, <laughs> when I got a, when I got a bit older, um, I was introduced to bands like Iron Maiden, uh, Motorhead, Meatloaf, and stuff like that. So then I sort of started listening to that. But I've always yeah. maintained, you know, I'll still listen to Michael Jackson today. You know, the, the guy's phenomenal. He, he just, you know, he just can't beat a bit of wacko jacko on a on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I have a I have a Michael Jackson injury story. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So like my parents were all classic rock, but they were also hip to the time. So I also grew up with Michael Jackson, and he was my first idol when I was, I think, like five years old, probably. And just, I was, you know, trying to dance like him all around the house. I loved Beat It, just played it until yeah. the tape wore out. And um, it was a birthday party. Me and several of my aunts all have birthdays in July, month of July. So we all got together for this birthday party and we were outside barbecuing. And I wanted to show off that I knew how to moonwalk. <laughs> And I and I moonwalked right into a burning hot grill and oh. like burned <laughs> burned burned my arm pretty severely. 
because like my no one was really supervising me my aunts were all just screwing off and i ended up like screaming and streaking down the street and everyone had to chase me down <laughs> more of a sun walk <laughs> yeah but that's how that's how into michael jackson i was he was definitely a major influence for me you know yeah. very very when i was very young and yeah. always stuck with the appreciation for it you know even though yeah. pop pop music or whatever you want to call his genre um certainly my major cup of tea but that doesn't mean i can't appreciate it when it's really good you know yeah yeah how so, old when you start playing in bands then so i kind of banged on crap throughout my life when i was younger but kind of on a whim my dad bought a drum set when i was for my for my 10th birthday so that's when i officially <clears throat> started playing the drums now even before he bought it when i was a kid and before i had any equipment me i would get the neighborhood kids together like three four of us and we would like pretend be in, in a band. band okay yeah we would dress up as the different members of Guns N' Roses. I would inevitably be the drummer. Yeah. So I would like make up a drum set with boxes or whatever. And we would put on the cassette, crank up the volume. My parents had these huge speakers and huge radio system. <clears throat> so we'd turn up a lot of shit. We were always allowed to play it as loud as we wanted it in the house. And we would like lip sync along and act like the band, you know. And that's what we did when we were like eight years old, nine years old yeah got my drum set when i was 10 started banging on it and my parents realized like i could tap along rhythmically with anything that was on the radio and they're like holy shit what's up with this and it just turned out that my mother worked as a banker at a uh, or excuse me a teller at a bank she worked at yeah. a bank and one of the other bankers she worked with was a drum teacher okay <laughs> It just just happened to be that way. So I started taking lessons from her probably within like my first three months, which was really good because it helped steer me towards learning proper technique, yeah. you know, harness it, harnessing my natural talent, so to speak, um, learning to actually read music, learning different genres, all that stuff. So I probably started taking lessons before I was 11 years old. And throughout my whole life, my dad had always played in different like garage bands. <clears throat> so probably around the same time, around 11 years old, he's playing in some garage and I would go with to like their practices and watch them practice and hang out and be a part of the part of the group, you know. Yeah. So he's in this current garage band and they're practicing to play um, some local talent show they're just gonna play two leonard skinner songs and the drummer kept having to skip practice because he was going to like uh alcoholics anonymous meetings i think some <laughs> shit like that and so one day i said hey can i try sitting in and, and playing i think i was still 11 years old maybe 12 and they were like and my dad's like yeah let him try and they're like okay yeah go ahead so i sat in and played and like blew the guy out of the door you know like i was just such a better drummer so much more energy stuff like that even at that age so he ended up having schedule complications i ended up sitting in and replacing him 
playing with them at the age of 11 at that talent show. And then from there, my dad ended up, you know, because at first I would just play drum along with my dad. We would jam along yeah, yeah. to music in the house. But probably my first year, year and a half, we ended up forming a band. It was me, my dad, one of the, his high school buddies who had played guitar. Uh, they reconnected later in life. And then um, some fourth guy who ended up playing guitar and keyboards. So I was probably 12 years old, and they probably would have been around 40 years old. And we formed a classic rock uh, cover group. We originally named it Night Train after the Guns N' Roses song yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and the cheap booze. <laughs> and then later at some point, someone was doing like looking into copyright stuff and decided that was a bad idea. So we changed the name to Blue Steel, which was the name of a guitar string and probably also a bad idea, but whatever. <laughs> and um, basically we covered, we, we played together for about two years probably from the age of like 12 to the age of like 14. And we covered uh, classic rock. Uh, didn't, didn't do a lot of Beatles, a little bit of Beatles. More Stones, good amount of Zeppelin, some Hendrix, some Who. Um, geez, I don't even remember. Yeah, some more, more classic rock driven uh, rather, yep. than, rather than pop, uh, pop music. Yep. Yeah. And we ended, up, we ended up playing out a total of four or five times over the course of two years, mostly just like someone would have a barbecue and we'd come play for two hours in the backyard. But it was my first ability to like get out and actually play in front of an audience. And that was fun. But by the time, you know, I'd been playing with them for two years, my musical ability had advanced so much beyond theirs. It was like, all right, I need more. I need more. I need more, more challenge than this. So we ended up disbanding for whatever reason. And I wasn't playing with the group for a little while. And I was looking through, I'm, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. And we have this, have this magazine in Chicago that has like musician want ads. So I was reading through that. And I found a band looking for a drummer. They were like a progressive hard rock metal band. I call them up and um, they said, yeah, our influences are ronnie james dio era rush okay they were they were very specific or not, not i mean not rush excuse me ronnie james dio era black sabbath oh uh, yeah as opposed, to like, <laughs> yeah as opposed like as opposed to ozzy black sabbath you know okay yeah some more like 80s black sabbath and rush and i was like all right well that's cool i you know it sounds pretty hard like i'd like to audition for this so my Dad drove me out to the audition. Turns out these dudes were all 35 years old, 30, 31 to 38 years old. And I was currently 14 or 15 yeah. <laughs> years old. And I auditioned and they called me back. Like, all right, you know, we tried out 30, 40 drummers. You're the only one that could hang. So we'd like to bring you on, even though you're underage which was weird because we got to a point where we want to play clubs and I wasn't legal enough or old yeah, enough, yeah. you know, to be able to get in. So we had to bend some rules, but it was cool because at the age of 15, I started already playing some venues that I wouldn't be able to go to for several more years. Yeah, um, yeah. So I ended, up play I ended up playing with them for two years, roughly. Um, it was really cool. 
it's a pain in the ass, you know, because like I was so young, I couldn't even drive. So the singer, guitar player, used to have to come pick me up from my house, drive half an hour back to practice, rehearse for an hour and a half, two hours, drive me all the way back home, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and somehow that group had a financial backer who actually paid. I ended up getting like some new equipment, some new cymbals and stands and stuff like that, which is great because I grew up pretty broke and my equipment wasn't great. I was slowly piecing together a decent drum set. Yeah. And um, we ended up actually going into the studio for the first time I went to the studio and recording a, I think, nine or 10 song um, album. And um, I was, again, I was probably 15 at the time. And I ended up doing all my tracking in like two days. You know, I nailed most of my stuff on my first track. It was a pretty cool experience. Just never thought I'd get to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. Yeah. We cut, we cut the record and the singer, you know, really thought this was going to become commercially viable. And I knew like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's too, it's, it's too far. It's too far out there. You know what I mean? For too many yeah. reasons, but it was musically really fun, like really gratifying, very challenging songs that were in wild time signatures and, yeah, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, but eventually that kind of wound down and, at this point i'm like 16 17 years old didn't know what to do and um i had a couple schoolmates or uh classmates who were into heavy metal as i was becoming you know progressively more into heavy metal as a teenager and they played the guitar and the bass respectively and they wanted to form a group with me and i jammed with them and like they just weren't good musicians, you know, <laughs> like they were, they were just picking up their instruments and starting to toy around, whereas yeah, I've been yeah. at it for years, years now. So initially I, I told them, no, I didn't want to do it. Just, it was a waste of my time. And throughout this whole period too, like I was also doing marching band, I was doing jazz band, I was doing show choir band, I was doing plays, um, like pit orchestra. Okay. I do. I would get hired, you know, I, I would do pit orchestra at school plays, and then there was also a local community that somehow the leader of the orchestra started reaching out to me when I was really young, when I was like 13, and asking if I wanted to be a part of the pit orchestra, and they paid me to do it, and I was like, hell yeah, I can get paid to play the drums at the yeah. age of 13, yeah. I don't care how much it is, I'll, I'll take it, so I was doing that, I was doing pep band, I was doing, you name it, I was doing it, yeah. everything. So even when I had a dry spell, I was still playing my ass off. And um, finally, probably around the age of like 17, 18, I gave in and ended up playing with this group of guys. We ended up forming a metal band, thrash metal. Uh, you know, tried to do it for two, three years, you know, with dreams of making it big. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, we ended up recording two smaller uh, EPs, one was a, or LPs, one was a five song demo. And then we ended up ditching the singer and one guitar player, stripping down to just one guitarist with a different singer, went back in, did a three song demo. For that one, actually, like, took press release photos and all that crap and tried making like packets, you know, packages yeah, to send yeah, off the record. Because yeah. again, this, this is back in. 90, 97. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like there there was internet 
but yeah yeah old <laughs> speed dial-up right but the commoner didn't really know what they were doing with it so i yeah, i was yeah. still this this mindset of like i grew up with the dream of being a rock star so this is how i'm gonna hustle i'm gonna put together these packets and work yeah. my way into the industry and talk to people so yeah like i i had no plans of going to college or nothing like that i was going to be a fucking rock star or something <laughs> like that so so i was sure enough around the age of graduation that's what i was doing i was sending these off to record companies and trying to call people and network and yeah book it book gigs and stuff like that but we were never great you know i knew we weren't very good and i didn't have much personal help for it and around that age i started being like man i, I saw that you know we graduated high school yeah. and all of my uh, classmates just went off to college like they still want to jam they still want to do the band thing but their focus was school whereas mine was on music and it's like shit no one's taking this seriously i'm gonna be stuck like cleaning gutters <laughs> at, the, at the age of 60 yeah, you know yeah. I mean? so i took I, I took a year off after high school wanted to do a music thing saw that nobody i knew was all in and i kind of freaked out went back to college said yeah. all right let's at least let's at least get a degree and you can keep playing while you do that yeah and, yeah but yeah that was really the first part of my musical career and that's as far as I took it. There was nothing that ever resembled taking it all the way or, or okay. becoming becoming something. Yeah. You know, I felt I felt I was a very proficient player. Um, I picked stuff up pick stuff up really rapidly when I play. Yeah. And I mostly I mostly just learned by ear. Um, but even in like middle school, um, when I'd only been playing for a year and a half, two years the band director was very he had he was known for and had a reputation for being very demanding but also bringing like all the championships home you know all yeah, the time. yeah yeah so i basically started playing right when i started going through middle school and kind of grew up under this dude yeah and he was an awesome progressive teacher like he had our marching band playing songs by Chicago, 25 yeah, or 64. Yeah. He had our jazz band playing songs by Jimi Hendrix, Crosstown Traffic. Yeah. You know, he was he was cool. So yeah, he I wish more teachers envelope. were like that, you know. Yeah. So like when we used to do, you know, a jazz band, you warm up with a 12-bar blues, you know, bump, all that shit. And different people would uh, improvise over it and it would yeah. give young players a chance to learn to improvise. So then he got the idea of this director. Why don't I do it with the actual symphonic band, you know, the with the flutes and the clarinets and everyone and let them try it. So we're doing it and I was like, screw it, man. I'm going to do like a timpani solo in the middle of this. Just like with all sorts of bent pitches and like all sorts of weird just... I'm going to do a super far out. <laughs> so I would just use it as an excuse to do wild shit like that when I was young. Yeah, yeah. He loved it and totally encouraged it. So at the end of middle school, he would, you know, give out an award for like student, uh, musician of the year. And of course that never goes to like a drummer because they're not like a drummers aren't like musician musicians, you know, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I ended up along with this other uh, very, 
talented saxophone player who actually ended up going professional. <clears throat> we ended up winning it together. Um, so at a, at a pretty, you know, and the drum teacher I was taking lessons from, I rapidly became her like star pupil. And we ended up doing performances where we did like duets together and all sorts of cool shit. Like, yeah. I, and I kind kind of got led into the adult world earlier because of being, yeah, being in a band with kind dad. of a prodigy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So when I was younger, um, you know, I I was pretty serious about it. I was I was pretty good um, at a young age. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just didn't really. All the right triggers to find the right market. Yeah, you didn't find the right people, really. By some of it. Yeah. Yep. You still played out, so, or you, you just knocked it on the head completely, have you? No. So then, you know, like when I went through college, I continued to play a little bit, but no real serious like commitments with bands. And then when I finished college, um, that's when I really started getting into bodybuilding. Okay. So I had moved. Um, into a new house and I brought my big elaborate drum set and I brought my beginning weight set and I put one in one corner of the basement one in the other corner of the basement and it's funny like when I started doing the whole lifting thing um, it just I pretty much lost interest in in playing the drums you know mm -hmm. for a while I just became intensely passionate about lifting you know i had no prospects with the music thing i just relocated and hadn't played in a serious group in several years and i don't know just kind of wasn't super into it so yeah i just stopped playing kept the drums for a while and eventually it was just like all right why am i even holding on to these so i didn't play between 2003 and 2016 i think or 2017 i can't remember uh, a long time uh, yeah yeah it's crazy and then finally a couple of years ago when i was winding down with competing and all that it's like all right why don't we get an electric kit and see if we can still remember how to do this and i did and it was a little rusty but I was amazed i painted a lot of my apps pretty easily and because um, it turns out, you know, that whole time I wasn't playing, I was still listening to a lot more variety of music, a lot more progressive music, stuff like that, and kind of tapping along with it and still untangling how to play it, as yeah, weird as that yeah. sounds. Mm -hmm. So even though, like, even though I took a 13-year break, when I got back to playing, after my first few weeks, you know, well, actually, like, once I first got the kit, I didn't take it that seriously, but within a year, we had moved up to Rhode Island and I end up getting an acoustic kit and I start practicing pretty regularly every day. And it was weird. I actually started getting like better than I had been when I was younger. Um, in part, just because like now I was more in tune with my muscles from my bodybuilding stuff. So I could like get better biofeedback on how to control things with my playing and stuff like that. Yeah. So. I'm back to playing again for the last couple of years and, you know, played with a couple cover bands over these last few years. Oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. That's good. That's cool. What Look, about live music then, David? Do you, do you go and see live bands very often? Because obviously you've done the performing side. You're interested yeah. in the spectator side as well? 
Um, I did it a good amount when I was younger, when I was a teenager, a little bit in my 20s. Um, I haven't done it much in the last 20 years just because I became such a workaholic that, like, I never took time to, you know, do anything. So between the ages of, between the years, like, 2003 to 2015, you know, minimal, minimal outings, minimal, minimal concerts that I attended for a good 10 to 15 year block. Um, Then, you know, slowly started to get to a couple more, you know, around 2015, 2016. And in the last five years, you know, I've been to a dozen but <clears throat> I find overall it's it's not, you know, like some people live and die for it. Mm. You know, like some people, it's totally their thing, that live energy they get when they go to a show. For me, uh, it, and again, it really depends on like the size of the venue and the type of band that you're seeing. But I kind of feel like I outgrew. I don't really have much interest in going to like metal shows anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a couple in, in recent years, like, I don't know if you guys have heard of a band called Ginger, it's a metal band from the Ukraine, <laughs> they, they, they came through uh, a couple years ago, and I saw them in Boston, um, in the last five, six years, I'm, I'm a real big fan of a progressive metal band, Periphery, so, seen them half a dozen times the last several years, um, yeah. no, another progressive band animals as leaders seen them a couple times the last couple years but yeah not a lot and since covid nothing at all yeah which, of course. Sucks. which sucks because like the bands i was playing with were getting to the point where they were starting to gig out once a month on average which was a lot of fun you know a lot yeah, of fun yeah. i hadn't done it hadn't done it in a long time was really starting to like get my sea legs back and you know just have some recreational fun with it and COVID kind of knocked the crap out of that. So, yeah, yeah, cool. Man. So much for that. Yeah. Cool. So you sort of ditched your drums for bodybuilding, and then you, uh, like I said, you you were competing in bodybuilding for a few years, and then you became a a pretty successful coach also. And you touched yeah. on the on the fact that you were a workaholic. I mean, putting hours and hours into into building a body. You know, hours and hours. I mean, years and years, actually. It's not hours and hours, but it takes sure. hours and hours every week. You know, you're saying you're right. a workaholic. I mean, how, how did you balance uh, your, your home life and your, and your working life? Um, not well. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, a lot of it is just, and it, and it took me, a, you know, I, I was always kind of aware of the fact that as, as I became older, <clears throat> most of the things that I would do in life that I would get into, I would become very driven and kind of excel at them. Um, yeah. I had done that. I'd done that at school, you know, in school, at college. I'd done that with music. Um, I seemed to be able to pick things up and, you know, run with them where I'd kind of come from a background of a family where we were not very successful you know we really struggled for money and um had some tough times and kind of a lot of fear of you know 
losing it all, if you yeah, will. Yeah. Plus with that, like a lot of arguing, constant arguing over like money and financial shit. So I just, you know, when I hit, when I got through my teenage bullshit drama that we all go through, yeah, I just became, I became the type of person that would just, when I would do something, I would just push myself very, very hard at it. And I guess to a point that you could call kind of extreme. So I'd done so in college, um, you know, done incredibly well, graduated, top my fields, uh, and when it was all said and done, just got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm kind of burnt out on this. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just sick of it. I need something different. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, once I got into bodybuilding, like it was just, at first it was just about lifting. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't trying to help anybody else or coach anybody else or do any yeah. shit like that. Yeah. And I, and I just loved it. I was just working as a, you know, furniture mover, truck driver, and then coming home and lifting weights. And that's what I was doing after college for life. And it was awesome. I loved it, you know. But after, you know, six, seven months of doing it, I had been making good progress and coworkers started asking me for tips and tricks. And family members started asking for tips and tricks and so I started helping people a little bit. <clears throat> and um, eventually, about a year, year and a half into that, I'd kind of transformed my physique, gotten very lean, built a good muscular base, and I was helping enough people. I was like, you know, why don't you do this for a living? So I looked into becoming a trainer, became a trainer, and, you know, at the first year and a half of doing it, like, I slowly built a reputation um, that was positive and had a small following, but I wasn't killing myself with it, you know what I mean? Like, I was still living with my parents, my bills weren't bad, everything was just simple and it you know i hate to put it out there but it seems to be the case whenever i meet a woman yeah yeah all of a sudden the financial requirements of life just become radically different <laughs> that then seems sane or possible to me okay <laughs> so anyways I ended up dating this girl, Kathy, when I was prepping for my first, I'd been a trainer for a couple of years, like 2007, prepping for my first show. She wants to get a house together. All of a sudden we're tied into this huge labor house. All of a sudden, like, you know, as a personal trainer, you don't make a ton of money. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you, I guess you can, but most don't. Like back then, most were making shit. Yeah. So she's like, well, can you commit to this mortgage? I'm like, I don't know. This I make all sorts of different money all over the time you know i'm not trained to be a business person i don't yeah, know yeah. so i just told her i'm like you know yeah i'll commit to making that happen and from then on it was just like flipping the switch where i became just uh very machine-like in making sure i was growing my business and not going to fail so to speak so yeah just this is back all the way in 2007 just started working you know i'd always worked long hours 70 hour weeks as a furniture mover stuff like that 80 hour weeks even started kept doing that as a trainer through 2007 but after two years of it, it was just like dude i'm coming home like you're just sleeping on the couch to yeah. support this big fancy house this makes this makes no sense like this isn't what i want to do screw this so i'm out 
I'm out. And, um, you know, at that point, my reputation had grown pretty decent. <clears throat> so the business just kind of continued to grow. And I started dating Nikki, who I've been married rapidly in 2008. We decided to relocate from Chicago out to Baltimore. And um, just because our boss had moved out there and we wanted to work under that boss. Yeah, yeah. Got out there, didn't realize I'd have to like start all over building my reputation because back then there was no social media there was no i had no website you know yeah something yeah. like that so now i'm in a totally different market so that sucked because i just spent like two and a half years kind of doing that and now we are starting from scratch but either way i had some good ideas this time around and within just a couple months was you know um probably the top trainer in in that area but was working some pretty ragged hours in order to achieve that and I decided what I think what really killed me over time was just I ran my business really hard, but I also thought I was going to be a competitive bodybuilder at the same time. Yeah. And I, and I also thought I was going to have a family at the same time. Okay. Like doing, the, doing those three for me yeah. is just an incredibly difficult balance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, you can't split yourself in three. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just I just never nailed it down, you know. Yeah. What I mean, so, um, yeah, just the business. You know, we moved out to Maryland, Baltimore, Maryland, '08. Um, business grew a little slow at first, but by '09, um, you know, my my wife was pregnant, ready to have her first kid, and I was just kind of like determined to make sure. I had no idea how I was going to make it work, but I was like, yeah. "Fuck yeah. it, we're I'm going to make this work." Like I don't care. Yeah. And. Um, kept growing my business i'm still working at chain gym through 09 into 2010 halfway through 2010 in june 2010 my wife and i were both prepping um we're like 25 weeks into our prep we're like four weeks out from our show i've dropped huge amount you know 75 80 pounds of fat and it's my first prep using gear yeah so I, it's my it's my wife's first contest ever her first prep I have my first fleet of competitors that I prepped and um, my daughter is 10 months old, 11 okay. months old. And I get fired from my job at this gym, Oh, you know, and yeah. I'm just like, oh, so of course, it's just, you know, huge pain in the ass to make sure I can transition everything. I got from that point forward, I go independent at a local hardcore gym that ends yeah. up doing, doing great because of it. Like it was the best thing ever that I got fired, but it was, not great timing but either way through 2010 into 2011 just the business continued to grow like i was just taking on so many clients training two clients an hour every hour for 10 hours straight 12 hours straight six days a week so you know i'd be training 24 different people a day and really pushing these people to the point where they were having some pretty massive transformations you know yeah then i would have them sending all of their diet information cardio information all that info over you know all week long or i would just you know my one day off from training clients i would be doing that on the computer for yeah, another yeah. 15 16 hours so you know this is all before we even start getting into like podcasting and social media all the other crap that I just started stack on my plate. So, yeah. So by the time 2012 hit, you know, like I competed four times that year, 
and between my prep that year plus I end up tearing my my right biceps early in the prep which you know just made things really challenging because I second guessed a lot of aspects of would I be able to compete would I be successful yeah could I recover in time so I'd fall off the diet cheat on the diet get back on push myself harder for it it was just a, a crappy prep but I did all my own prep I did all my own prep that year ended up dieting for like 36 weeks something oh, insane like that that's a long prep man yeah well in part because the injury you know pushed things back yeah. and in part because I did four shows like the first show was only 24 weeks into the prep I think but then when you do four shows that are spread out, yeah, it ends up just lasting forever. Yeah, yeah. So so between how much the business had grown, pushing myself through that prep, just all that, you know, at that age, my daughter was two and a half, three years old. My wife was going back to school for nursing yeah. and I was responsible for like, you know, bringing my daughter to daycare, picking her up, all the stuff. And I just remember life running at a pace where like, I was dragging this two-year-old down the hall by her arm, like rapidly to throw her into the daycare. Yeah, so I could yeah. run upstairs and get my cardio in. And, you know, I just started hating it. Yeah. Um, I was surprised. really proud of what I, what I had accomplished. What's that? I said, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, even towards the end of that prep, <clears throat> um, I started having some digestion issues i would eat my final meal go to sleep wake up about an hour later be very nauseous and end up you know throwing back up my final yeah. meal and i talked to my buddy about it and he's like that's not good you gotta go to the doctor i'm like no i just think it's from the stress and you know stimulants and music and stuff like that so yeah. even back in 2012 i started having some issues from it so so by the time that that season was done you know i again it lasted forever and i feel proud of what i accomplished but we took a week and went on vacation did some self-reflection of course stupidly came off all gear with no pct yeah and just and just crashed and just kind of just went into this first probably my first real experience with like depression where it just got it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse you know yeah and yeah. and i kind of had decided i had to step back from something some aspect of what i was doing and i already wasn't putting the time into my family that i wanted to you know so yeah. i couldn't step back from that and um I didn't feel like I could step back from my business at that point. I didn't feel like my family was secure enough at yeah, that point yeah. with my, with, with my wife still not working, putting our daughter in daycare, being the sole provider, all that stuff. So um, I didn't feel like I could really step back on, on business at that point. Um, so I just decided, okay, well, I guess I'm going to just stop bodybuilding for the time. Yeah, being. Yeah. Which was a, terrible <laughs> from from a mental health perspective not a great decision to just completely come off hormones completely yeah, stop yeah. training you know stop pursuing the thing that you love and that you're passionate about yeah. it been far far more sensible to find a way to budget my time you know train on a limited schedule 
because I, yeah, I even yeah. did that like when i when i prepped for my shows in 2010 my schedule was so jam-packed that i would only lift three days a week which okay. for a bo- for a bodybuilder and prep is like unheard of yeah, know, yeah they typically they typically train at least five days a week. five days yeah uh, often often six days a week yeah but i knew that wasn't possible so i would only lift three days a week and i was just very analytical in what i had to do in order yeah. to achieve the shape i wanted to achieve for the show so i was always <clears throat> flirting with that line of like barely able to hold it together you know yeah yeah and, and by 2012 it had kind of you know exploded a little bit so so yeah i stepped back from training for a while and went into this depression that kind of sucked but at that point i didn't have the opportunity to like i was i was training so many clients and had kind of developed this reputation for being such a leader yeah um yeah being so strong-willed and able to work through anything and invincible almost you know yeah. what i mean that i just kind of kept that face on as you I do would go to, yeah when i would <laughs> go to when i would go to work and yeah. train all of these all these people you know what i mean so it got to a point in 2012 where things were bad enough where like I started reaching out, trying to find some help with the psychiatrists and whatnot. But, you know, the problem is I didn't really know what I was doing. I hadn't done my research. Um, I ended up linking up with one psychiatrist. We didn't hand it off great, but, you know, she thought the real root of my problem, the first thing I needed to do was immediately just kind of fix my sleep patterns because Mm -hmm. I, I was running on three hours of sleep a night probably on average and a lot of the times i would like skip a night and just go two days two days on no sleep and that's how much i was working at the time and it had been that way for a couple years at that point and you know with that i was becoming more agitated more anxious more more depression was trickling in so she thought we had to fix that and she wanted me to totally change my diet and eat less animal protein. And, you know, she kind of yeah, struck yeah. me, she kind of struck me as, you know, a little hippy dippy. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing she did was prescribe me benzos yeah. to, help, to help with my sleep. And, you know, benzos are very addictive Yeah. and um, which I didn't really know, but, I took them and stayed stayed awake right through the first dose. So I took a second dose and rapidly realized like these are not a good thing. <laughs> these are something <laughs> that yeah. you're going to just like plow through and just no, not a good option. So I mean, I I got a little bit of help in 2012, but not nearly enough. I didn't stick with a I didn't find a person that I gelled with. I didn't stick with a person long enough and give enough things a chance to find something that would help me and work for me but part of the reason i didn't was just because my schedule was so packed with business at that point and i felt that i had to service that yeah yeah, business you know like i felt my family needed it that i wouldn't take the time to like set up the appointments follow through with the appointments it was just you know I had to train and I 
or no, at that point I wasn't even training. Um, but I just had to service my clients and I did it all day long, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, um, I didn't really get the help I needed. And, you know, as 2013 approach, I started training bigger teams of competitors because my name had grown to that point. Hmm. so 2013 was like the first year that in maryland i started bringing teams of like 15 competitors to a show at a time okay and and 2013 was like the first year i started like helping adam mcveigh with his prep so so we kind of like reconnect even though we didn't live in the same area anymore we kind of reconnected and started working together again because geared up started towards the end of 2013 yeah and even though I was just like wallowing in this depression, my business just kept growing and just, you know, which was kind of cool, but I was not feeling great. But eventually just kind of started working my way through it and feeling a little bit better and got inspired to, you know, I actually got inspired by one of my competitors. She was a total badass and made me realize like I just had to get my shit together and start training again. Yeah. I'd start, yeah. I would start feeling better. So sure enough you know just kind of did that but never modified my lifestyle or my behaviors you know yeah. just kept kept working as hard as ever well, that's, the, that's, the, that's the problem with men you know i think men in general is uh they tend really to hide the fact that they're, that they're not feeling too great you know it's yeah. sort of roll your sleeves up and get on with it you know this is what people need from me and uh yeah never mind never mind how i'm feeling i'll just put it put it in my pocket for a while and see where we go from there, you know, but right. yeah, it's, it's really, I think it's really difficult as a man to, to be quite open about it with, with people around you, you know, your general colleagues or uh, people that people that are actually working with you, you know, yeah. to, to actually open up and it's, you know, we've, we've got to try and somehow get this message across that sometimes it's okay not to be okay, you know, and too many right. men do do tend to shy away from that fact. I mean, you're yeah, yeah. I mean, you're telling me that you you were so um, enveloped in your work, if you like. You know that that definitely wasn't playing on your. Uh, there was it wasn't sort of a, a level playing field. You know, you're immersed in your work, so that doesn't do your mental health any good, especially when you're not sleeping so much. Right. You know, as you're saying, and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. I mean, I don't know how we can how we can get that message out there, really. I mean, it's, it's, right. it's, it's quite tough. But anyway, sorry for interrupting you. Go on. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, and, and you know, I was kind of in tune with the fact, like, I, I talked to my wife about how I was feeling and then a couple of other, you know, one, maybe two other close people in my life. Yeah. But other than that, you know, I really kept, kept it very well covered up and hidden yeah, yeah. throughout a lot of that that period um so yeah you know it's just it is hard it's absolutely hard and um the other hard thing is when you're getting conflicting messages meaning you know in a lot of ways my life was becoming progressively more successful yeah and uh, and i was you know advancing up the chain if you will which really mattered to me because i had this kind of fear of failure yeah um just from a pretty young age you know like in part in part because like having 
wanting to do the music thing and having grown up in a kind of household where you know, my parents didn't go to college college the importance of it wasn't really stressed you yeah, know yeah. i i was i was going to be a musician and i was going to be a famous rock star i truly believe that so as high school went on and i started to have some you know problems at home and stuff like that i never took an act i never took an sat i almost failed out of high school i got terrible grades because i was you know i had behavioral problems and shit like yeah, that yeah so with that, I never planned to go to college. Like I plan to be a musician and this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And, you know, because of that, when I went back to college, like my degrees in philosophy, which doesn't translate to like a business degree or a doctor or a lawyer or some simple, obvious, here are the steps to yeah, yeah. Being, being successful type life. So it was weird, you know, like after, after college, I had some, I had a lot of menial jobs, blue collar jobs. And once I started lifting, doing the bodybuilding thing, doing the personal training thing, you know, again, most trainers don't make much. Most people yeah. go into the field because it's a dream job. Like, oh, I love the gym and I love being at the gym. And wouldn't it be great to be at the gym all day long? Especially yeah. just wearing, wearing workout clothes and, you know, help helping people and, Oh, it'd be awesome. Like, yeah, when you first start training and you really get into it, like it's like church. You just yeah, yeah. want to be, you want to be there. There's an energy there. But either way, like I didn't make my first year doing it, I probably made $25,000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Thank God I lived with my parents. <laughs> but all of a sudden, you bust your ass for a couple of years and you're doing well. There's payoff. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. There's tons of payoff. So that's the problem is you're getting these conflicting messages. Uh, in one sense, it looks like life's going great and you're succeeding and slaying the dragon, if you will, so that your family can be secure. And yeah. Make something out of your life, so to speak. But you're not taking the time to really stop and say, all right, like, am I enjoying this? How do I feel? Yeah. If some if something is wrong, how do I fix it? Yeah. You know, but, it just kind of be, it became like a runaway train. Yeah, yeah. But also being a bodybuilder in yourself, you know, you you build in this you build in this uh, hard exterior, if you like, you build in this he-man body, you know, and inside your yeah. mind is starting to crumble. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's sort oh, yeah. of a bit of a misnomer, really. I mean, you you looked at as this as this great figure of a man. You know, and, right. but then you, you you're not really wearing your heart on your sleeve, so you're not really portraying yourself as you as you really would be. You know. Well, you know, and at first, like when I took on that volume of work, especially around the time when my wife was pregnant and the first year or two of my daughter's life, so say like two three year period. At first, during that period, I took on a certain work volume because, like, I had to, and there was another choice. And sometimes you just do what you got to fucking do and man up you know what i mean but after that point there should have been a reassessment where i was like okay you can't do this forever just because people are rushing at you and throwing dollars in your face yeah you know you 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 know i guess my point is that first couple years i did it i proved i could do it even though it seemed like inhuman and impossible Mm -hmm. and 
and I wasn't going to fucking fail at it. So those first couple of years, I proved I could do it. And the stupid me, once I knew I could do it, then it was like, well, then I will do it. I will yeah, work yeah. at this pace indefinitely. You know, and I had plenty of people tell me along the way, people I respected, people that were smart. You know, hey, man, you need to slow down. You yeah. need to take a break. You're yeah. pushing yourself too hard, blah, 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 blah. And I just developed this like, fuck that mentality. Like I almost, you know, I can do whatever. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't fail at whatever I put my mind yeah, to yeah. and whatever, whatever adversity gets thrown at me, I just find a way to like overcome it, push through it. But yeah, but yeah, I was well, Superman cape on. Yeah. But not paying any attention to how I was feeling, not paying any until it was like too late. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. just everything was falling apart all that so do you think there was a point david that perhaps if you had taken a step back you could have identified you were going down that road and maybe thought hang on a minute man i need to i need to check out what i'm doing here and look after myself a little bit yeah oh for sure you know i just i just wish um i had known more you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like as i was going to you know learn how to properly express myself and learn how to assess how I was feeling and all that. Everything was just kind of chaos, you know? Um, just once you got to the point where like all hours a day, your phone is blowing up, your email is blowing up, you're training two people at a time and you got other people coming in asking for merchandise, asking for this, and, you know? Um, so I never did the assessing. That was the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, just power, power, power through it muscle through it um but yeah you know like knowing what i know now if i could have just stopped and you know assess things and come up with like a business plan and said all right yeah here's how we're gonna do things yeah it would have been so much different totally yeah. different yeah you know i think that's that's that half the problem in there you're so focused on what you're doing you know, you're looking at the goal at the end of the, you know, whether it be the dollars or the body or whatever it is, that's that's your main goal, isn't it? You keep striving and striving to achieve that goal. Right. Well, and I think, you know, bodybuilding as a culture rewards that, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it's all about. It's, it's about pushing yourself beyond limits. And I just kind of found pretty early, I was good at pushing myself beyond limits, whether it was with sleep, whether it was with um nutrition you know being able to really push my diet hard when i was prepping so i could have these huge dramatic body transformations but of course that still taxes you um whether it was with the work schedule whether it was with whatever i would have just found that i'm very good at pushing myself beyond limits and um you know it's tricky because it's like a double-edged sword you know, it is. It's a conflict. You, know, you get a a conflicting messages a from bodybuilding. You know, most bodybuilders, yeah, that are training competitively, never think they're big enough. They never think they're hard enough. They never think they're good enough. But then you've got the other side of the coin, where wow, I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. And you know, especially in your case with your business mm-hmm. and stuff. So it's like if you're fighting two sides of the coin, really. Right. You know. Yeah, for sure. And that is yeah, really conflicting. Uh... Yeah. You know, and, and again, I'm sure some people can do it. it I don't know. It's I tricky. don't know. 
in, in my in my experience in my experience <laughs> from what i've seen in my just about two decades in this industry most people either do well competing but they don't necessarily have like a super demanding business yeah or or personal life or whatever or people have a very demanding business life and they don't do great with competition you know they might prep for a show but they can never kind of like put their heart and soul into it or into their training like they should or yeah, yeah. you know whatever, whatever the case might be so it just seems that doing both full tilt you know i i kind of knew with the competing thing like i got into it I, when i've started training i had no intentions of competing and I started working as a personal trainer and I had no intentions of competing. And when I started working as a trainer at my first gym, um, it was kind of a hardcore gym and there were a couple competitive bodybuilders there. So I decided when I started working at my first gym that I was gonna diet down real hard and kind of get like shredded for the first time. And, you know, just to do it, to learn my body and learn the nutritional side of things and all that. So I did. Did some pictures and one day i'm sitting around with these other co-trainers who are bodybuilders like hey man you look good you're shredded i'm like thanks they said you're gonna compete and i said no i never thought i could do such a thing they're like well you need to be bigger but yeah you know you could do it you look yeah, good i'm yeah. like all right so this is back in again oh four this is before everyone in the world competed yeah, you know? yeah. like back back in 2004 you want to compete you have to be a bodybuilder there's no men's seek and you know, I was 6'1 with a big frame, so, and I was natural. So, yeah, like, yeah. I had a lo long way to go. But, um, you know, I, I'd never planned on competing, and I did it in 07. I took several more years before I did my first show. It was back in 04. I did my first show in 07. So, it took three more years of kind of bulking up and cutting down and bulking up and cutting down. Finally did my first show in 07, all natural. But by that point, my training business was already starting to like grow pretty, pretty strong to the point where it was kind of evident to me that the business mattered more than the competition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. I was going to live lifestyle. Yeah. And, and I was going to train and all that shit. But I wasn't going to sink my <laughs> concerns into being a competitor. Yeah. Um, so I, I, knew from early on when I did it like again we relocated from Chicago in 08 out to Baltimore and once we got there had to reestablish ourselves in the new market my, my new wife and I and I told her I was like you know we'd been partying a little bit and we were kind of like a little out of shape not not shredded by any means yeah so we got we got there and I said hey let's let's just diet hard for like 12 weeks so we can like do a transformation, get some notoriety and start building our rep out here. And I realized there was a show coming up eight weeks after that. So I'm like, all right, screw it. I'll just, I'll do that as my second show and I'll compete in this uh, untested show, even though I'm still natty and do my yeah, own prep. Yeah. So I, I kind of used competition over the years as a means of promoting my business and building my business and my reputation in the area i never had any hopes and dreams of going anywhere with it never thought i could go pro yeah didn't think 
didn't think and again you know like <clears throat> for anyone who actually listens to this the standards for going pro nowadays are drastically different than they were even 20 years ago yeah, yeah. um you know in, in 2000 back then you really had to have a genetically blessed bone structure and muscle tie-ins and all that in yeah order to be a pro in but now they just give out pro cars like candy you know well that and the fact that like you know 20 years ago when i was getting into it it wasn't as clear-cut like since in the last 20 years with the internet the recipe for being a successful bodybuilder you know like the yeah, right drug yeah. cycle the right drug cycle the right nutrition plan the right training program there's so much information out there. um people can get further faster nowadays yeah, than they sure. could yeah. they could 20 years ago yeah. 20 years ago it was more of an exploratory process where yeah. you piece together bits and pieces of information from like the old dude in the gym plus yeah, like yeah. What, what you read on bodybuilding.com yeah. plus plus like you know you just did what you could to learn yeah, yeah. but it, it wasn't as cut and dry as it is nowadays no no so. i mean i started bodybuilding 19 i'm showing my age now 1985 86 okay so uh i mean i was 20 so i was still a bit of a late starter i guess yeah. But um, yeah, there was no real information. You and you, you know, I was lucky enough to train in a gym. There was an Olympic powerlifter there, and some of my friends were were really really hardcore. You know, yeah. So I was lucky to be able to scramble bits of information from them. I mean, yeah, drugs were really like under the carpet. You know, nobody talked about drugs, and everybody thought that you were taking the like liver tablets to get big, and you know. <laughs> it was not. It was not the case that it is today, where you know you got your average Joe in the gym who's like 19 years old on a gram of trend and a gram of test a week. Right. You know, just to go to the beach, it's like it's crazy, and it, I'm sure that can't contribute to to a, to a good mental health uh, situation. You know, going down the no. line. No, it makes me wonder. You know, well, and that's the other thing too. You know, like. I was a natural bodybuilder from 2003 until 2009. Yeah. Um, I did my first. I did my first three shows naturally, and I did that because when I started reading and educating myself on on how to get in shape and weight training and all that, which I did after college, all the pros seem to agree on the fact that you should build a foundation naturally. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You should learn how to eat properly. You should learn how to train properly. And plus being young, you know, I started training when I was 24. Yeah. Um, I figured I saw plenty of tests in my system. I should be able to grow pretty easily. Um, so I started training naturally. Just, I figured if the pros said, this is how to do it, then this is how you should do it. Yeah. That's <laughs> you know, right, like yeah. They, take them take them at their at their word yeah. nowadays that is not always the thinking people assume <laughs> if someone says something oh they must be lying they must exactly be trying yeah, to find yeah. a way to trying yeah, to find a way the to lie in the culture but yeah, yeah so i trained natty for those first several years and then um in 2009 you know i had my first off season where i was using gear and you know i started conservatively you know like my first cycle was 500 megs of test a week for 12 weeks 
And then I stacked 300 megs DECA on top of that 500 megs test for the final six weeks of that. Yeah, yeah. And then I just slowly built up and slowly built up. But even with that, like with where my family was at, with having a, a newborn at home and a wife who wasn't working and working a job where like, you know, I had no benefits because we had to be self-insured at this point and um, no safety net underneath, you know, all the shit. Um, I wasn't in a position where like I was really willing to spend money <laughs> on supplements and gear. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So that's another reason I was very conservative with how I introduced it and approached it over the years. Yeah. Um, just because I saw guys blowing, you know, hefty amounts of money, especially once they introduced GH, you know, growth hormone gets very expensive. Yeah, yeah, especially I, back in the day. I, yeah, and I, I just couldn't justify that. So, you know, I was very moderate user for my first couple of years and slowly built up intake. Um, I probably realistically underplayed or undervalued any negative effects that it may have been having, yeah. you know, in terms of like mental health and whatnot. Yeah. Um, you know, just, it's hard to pick apart at that point, what's causing what, you know, Yeah. yeah. when, when you're working that many hours a week getting that little sleep, having such high stress levels from so many people contacting you all day long, needing help. Yeah. Never, never taking five minutes to just like sit down and breathe, um, rushing your meal, you know, while trying to like cram in, you know, (laughs) five, 6,000 calories a day. Yeah. yeah. Clean food. Yeah. You know, training every day. Yeah. Trying to find the time to eat that, all that. But yeah, I, I think I probably undervalued, um possible like stress and aggression and stuff like that related to using gear over time yeah yeah you know what i mean yeah so you sort of like stopped training and um yeah so you see stopped competitive training then and then you probably stopped training when 2016 2017 maybe yeah 2016 was my last competition season by that point you know um, the business had grown so much and geared up had grown so much and yeah uh, going going into 2016 all of us decided we would compete together me adam dave smith all you know a bunch yeah, of my yeah, other yeah. a bunch of my co-workers and and clients and it was every person i knew we were all we were all gonna basically prep together and i decided going into 2016 that was gonna be my final season yeah um i was gonna retire after that in part just because like every every season every prep had just been so taxing on me and you know just i never was able to find the right balance with work and life and all that yeah and at that and at that point in 2016 like that off season i was at my peak i was 315 pounds i was in my mid-30s at this point starting to use a more substantial amount of gear you know an amount an amount that i considered to be pretty high and I just knew that, like, and, and this was going to be my first time making a run at, like, a national show. Yeah. No intention no, no intention to turn pro, but just, you know, want to stand on a national stage and look like I belonged up there. Yeah. You know, not, look yeah. Like, not look like an asshole. Yeah. And, and um, you know, and I would have been happy with that. Like, top 10 at 
junior nationals that's great in my yeah. mind that would have been that would have been especially as a legit super heavy yeah, yeah. i'll take it so um but i decided it was gonna be my last prep because just i knew at that age you know i was starting to have some success as a competitive bodybuilder but it was kind of late in life yeah you know yeah. and I knew if I didn't draw a hard line in the sand, I would start chasing it yeah. more and more and more. And I wasn't comfortable with the weight I was getting up to. Oh, you go. Um, oh, yeah, I, I might, I might have to go get my phone charger to make sure my phone doesn't die, but I can do that. But yeah, I just wasn't comfortable with where I was at. I knew that the weights I was using the guys at some point sooner or later, I was something was going to go wrong yeah you know yeah. what i mean yeah so so i decided to make 16 my final season and i planned out this very elaborate final competition season my swan song if you will sorry about this i'm just getting my phone charged. <laughs> it's okay yeah i remember and, um, following it through uh geared up because most of it was pretty much laid bare on uh, geared up you know yeah yeah and um as i got into the prep just <sighs> shit just started falling apart um my body was not responding well um i had gotten so heavy in the off season and stayed leaner than i typically had in past years but i was just so heavy that like even doing any cardio like mild walking on the treadmill yeah was just killing me with shin splints but at this point <sighs> my business had grown to the point where my wife and I were trying to like go in on buying a chiropractic business because we had a vendor come to us who made a business deal. So we were trying to figure out legalities on that. And uh, one of the local NPC people had asked my training company to franchise at this other gym. So we were trying to like make a transition doing that. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I had 21 other trainers who were working under me at this point. I was doing geared up, all that stuff, trying to organize events at my gym, all of this before I even like started prep. And then I went into prep. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then like a couple, probably 10 weeks into prep, not even that far in. My body wasn't responding great, but I just had a series of uh bad events. Um one of the guys who had become a trainer under Team Warrior within, Chris Pisarzik, ended up, uh, he had had a liver transplant six, six months prior and yeah. seemed to be well, well on the road to recovery. And then just really unexpectedly in the beginning of March uh, 2016, he passed away on yeah. us, you know, and he was, yeah. he was young. He was only in his 20s. I trained his wife, Holly, and was really close with her. And Chris was best friends with Dave Smith, the yeah, other guy that, yeah. that did the Geared Up podcast yeah, yeah. with us. So that happened. And then, you know, I was trying to help Holly get through it a little bit. And like, literally, I don't even remember the exact order of events, but maybe like the next day, I was training one of my very long-term clients in person and um, younger guy, 40-ish, and out of nowhere, he just had an aneurysm right in front of me or a, or a stroke. I'm not sure. Yeah. But, you know, had to be taken to the hospital and all that stuff. And 
with the timing of it all, like I wanted to go to Chris's wake and I couldn't even go visit Corey in the hospital with my work. It was just it was yeah, horrible. Yeah. And I remember being at Chris's wake and I was with Dave Smith and we were trying to console one another and both of us were, you know, in prep. Yeah. And we stepped outside to eat our meals. And I remember eating this meal of like cold fish and sweet potato. And I could feel my stomach just like, go bad is the only <laughs> way to describe it like something something wasn't right yeah, yeah and sure enough and sure enough from that point on i started having just really bad digestion problems my food wouldn't digest properly um i had started having a little bit in 2012 at the very end of prep but it was only the mm. last few weeks of prep when i was like really running on more Empty. caffeine yeah, yeah yeah lower carbs and then in 2014 when i prepped uh, it had happened again, this time a little, you know, earlier in prep, but still kind of on the back end of it, yeah. where it was tolerable. Well, now it was happening like the very beginning of prep, and I it takes me a full twenty plus weeks to prep, you know, because I get so heavy. So here we are, a couple of weeks in, and I start having digestive problems. I'm like, oh shit! I was working with Matt Porter at the yeah, time, yeah. and. Um, I remember it got to a point after experimenting for a few weeks where the only thing I could really comfortably eat was like protein shakes and yeah. rice cakes. So my diet consisted of seven protein shakes and 14 rice cakes a day. Super nutritious. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, at, at 290 pounds with that kind of like workload and activity output. But that's what I was prepping on and dieting on. And then, um, so that was, you know, kicking my ass. And then, um, and then some of it too, was just at that point, there was just a lot of associated stress and pressure. Yeah. I think yeah. because, because geared up had become so visible. We were all starting to post like progress pictures of, of one another online. Yeah. Um, and all of a sudden, like, I knew I was going to compete against Dave Smith. There was another guy who became a team warrior within trainer named Derek Natcher. Yeah. And he, cur he currently runs Loud Performance, which is an online coaching service. Okay. And, um, but he, he became a colleague of mine who I would be a super heavy along with him. And he was a great bodybuilder. And just as this all started to coalesce, like, I just think I started becoming more self-conscious and more concerned about you know, how am I going to do like yeah, all of a sudden yeah. there was a, in the past when I competed, you couldn't really research who you would go up against. Like you just showed up and you took your lumps and you took a chance. Yeah. But by the time 2016 had arrived, like there was this huge cult. There was this posse where, you know, people were all following one another and comparing each other on social media. And I think just, it kind of like ruined the party for me yeah, a little yeah. bit. I, I didn't enjoy it. I, maybe I'm just not a competitive person. Maybe I'm too self-conscious. I don't know. But yeah, well, I think uh, a lot of that came through Geared Up. You know, I mean, Geared Up became such a cult show. I think. For sure. You know? well, I remember Dave Smith thing, was... posting his photos from his attic room. Yeah. You know, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, um, so just I was getting into this prep, and just I could tell, like things were not going well yeah. and um i just started to struggle progressively more and more and more and more and um i my my ex-wife had planned on doing a show 
um, in April, which was about four weeks before the show I had planned on doing as my qualifier. I plan on doing this qualifier in May and then doing a couple national shows throughout June, July. Um, yeah. And, and then being done. But as the months ticked by, like, I just had the sense I wasn't going to make it. Like, yeah, I wasn't going to yeah. make it make it through May into June and July. So come April, when my ex-wife was doing her show, I was reasonably close to where I wanted to be. I, I definitely wasn't at 100%. But I had put on a lot of quality sides since my competitions in 2014. Yeah. In, two, in 2014, I competed around 227. When I was working with Matt Porter and was very happy with my conditioning. In 2016, uh, I competed, I weighed in at 255 and change. So mm-hmm. almost 30 pounds, almost 30 pounds heavier. Um, but realistically, I still had a good six to eight pounds of fat to strip, you know. Yeah. yeah. But either way, I wanted to showcase, you know, I'd finally like in those last two seasons I was training, like I'd finally started to properly utilize all the drugs and you know take advantage of some of the benefits of having successful business you know like having a good coach and eating 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 quality food and still not taking care of myself but at least doing the things that doing the things that you know a good bodybuilder does so yeah i ended up doing the show earlier than planned one the super heavy is not the overall and after that, you know, I, I continued going to work and trying to prep, but I just started breaking down like yeah, every day. Yeah. Just started turning into like an emotional wreck, emotional basket case. I go to the gym, I'd start training, I'd start crying, get frustrated, just all yeah. shit. So I ended up shutting it down early, deciding that I wasn't gonna prep, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it was really challenging because my wife, my ex-wife, Nikki. And I were both really invested in this in so many ways, financially, um, you know, just our identity, everybody following us. Yeah, we both yeah. worked. We had both worked so hard to do it. And I told Nick, I was like, I need to shut this down. I've just hit a, a breaking point, you know, where yeah. like I knew I knew it was coming for years and it's here. And um, I don't know what to do because I have the feeling if you continue to prep, like, I don't know how we're going to do this. And, you know, I kind of encouraged her or asked her to shut it down with me, which I still to this day feel bad about, you know, like I kind of, kind of made her shut her run down prematurely. And, um, you know, I don't think she was happy about that, but she was kind enough to kind of do it for me at that point. Just knew, just knew that things had been bad for a while. Okay. I need, I needed that support. Yeah. Yeah. So. So again, we ended up doing our final show April 2016. And with that, you know, or a cu- couple weeks later into May, when I decided I was done with the, the competition run, I also decided that I needed to take some time off from training at the gym. Yeah. yeah. Um, at this point, our online business had grown pretty big and I was still doing geared up and I was still training in person. I had finally scaled back to five days a week in person, but still a lot so i decided i was just going to take a hiatus um nikki would continue to be a trainer at coliseum with her normal schedule yeah i had i had a dozen other trainers there who were part of the training company team where then they would all keep doing their thing i would still coordinate everything but i would just work from home for a while which you know more than anything for me i felt 
I hadn't been present during my daughter's, you know, first couple years. Yeah, yeah. Just with how much I worked and never being able to take time off and always being exhausted. So as she started getting older, you know, by 2016, she's pushing seven years old, six years old. Um, it just mattered too much to me to be there and be more present, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was having having a lot of conflict with that. So I decided I would step down and just work from home with my online clients for a while, um, indefinitely and see what happened. And, um, that allowed me to like have three days a week where I would get my daughter off the bus and spend a lot of time with her, you know, it was great. Yeah. Um, but of course, stupid me, like, what did I do? I used it as, as an excuse to grow my online business. Okay. <laughs> so my online business just grows, you know, because like, again, at this point, I was just so constantly saturated with client leads and referrals and my network had grown so, so much. Yeah. And I had, and I had no, you know, plan strategy on like how to turn this into a viable, sustainable business it was just oh there's success there you know jump at it yeah which yeah. i had like had become a routine thing for me at this point so yeah. i didn't even like stop to consider hey is is that what you should do so i kept adding online clients online clients and sure enough within four or five months step back looked at things with my ex-wife and realized i can make so much money just doing online i don't need to be an in-person trainer anymore yeah, yeah. And, and we've always talked about eventually getting out of Baltimore. Now might be the time. Let's do it. So, so I came back, trained clients in person in 2017, just for the first few months of the year, um, in order to save up some cash for a downstroke on a home. Yeah. And then mid 2017, we left Baltimore, moved out to Providence, Rhode Island, which is where my ex-wife's family is from. Yeah. You know, in, in large part, we kind of thought by that point, I had been struggling, you know, progressively over the last couple of years um, with mental health, with just rage and with depression and stuff like that, with sleep issues. And um, we kind of thought that maybe a change of venue where like, you know, we could just like, I had almost like run away from my success, so to speak, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I didn't know how else to manage it. I yeah. didn't know how to do anything. So, um, you know, that was a large motivator in, in why we were looking to move. And if, if we we're going to do it, we want to do it before our daughter got too old. So yeah, she could yeah. establish friendships and stuff like yeah. that. So sure enough, mid 2017, we moved up to Providence with the intention of just working from the house and when we did stuff just went like from bad to worse so rapidly because stupid me here i am taking my i, I still have a plate that's fully loaded with my online yeah, work yeah. schedule you know what i mean it's still yeah. a very rough work schedule only now i'm taking myself out of this environment that i've spent 10 years building that's incredibly positive <laughs> yeah you know what i mean yeah. like this whole com this whole community and this whole family that I built. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm gonna I'm gonna go run and isolate myself in a house, you know, with no structured work schedule. Yeah. So it was kind of a stupid idea. Yeah, it's like cutting an arm off, really, isn't it? Yeah, it was. It, was, it did not work. I would say <laughs> that. With, with, did so, you have problems then because you were on top of each other all the time, or? 
A little bit. Um, yeah, you know, it was just such a drastic transition. You got to remember that, like, when I was training clients in person in the gym, you know, over the years, I was finally able to shorten up my schedule a little bit so that, like, the last couple of years I was working as a trainer, I think I only trained clients in person four days a week. And I would only train from, like, what, two to nine. It's probably like seven or eight hours straight. Yeah, yeah. But that's still, but that's still 14 to 16 people yeah in a day in a day yeah. and rare was the day when i wasn't booked solid you know yeah. um a day like that requires a lot of energy output yeah you know, a lot yeah. of running around and kind of talking to different people and running yeah. yourself ragged and next thing you know you find yourself sitting alone in a house with one other person yeah with no real output for that energy yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you um, see so many different pla- so many different faces uh, throughout the day then. You know, you've always got some sort of interaction. You've always got something to smile about. You've always got a story to tell, you know. Right. But then when you're going home to Nikki, uh, she's probably heard all the stories a million times before. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it kind of gets a bit, bit stale after a while, I suppose. Yeah. But really, you know, the... The thing is, I, I pushed myself, like, so we moved up to Rhode Island in mid-2017. I had started feeling the real damaging effects in, in 2016 during my contest prep. Yeah, That was when I knew, like, this is a sinking ship and I can't hold it together anymore. But going back, when I started going through all my, like, recovery and therapy and all that, like, I had written emails as far back as 2010 um, to Nikki saying, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> like, okay. I, can't push my, I, I can't push myself at this pace. I need help. Yeah. Um, so like I was always kind of aware of it and always kind of expressed it to various people. And did she never um, read the email? <laughs> I, don't want, I, don't, I don't want, I don't, I want, I want to be kind and positive. So we won't go down that road. Oh, did you never send it? <laughs> Oh, I definitely sent it. I will say that communication with my ex-wife was not always our strong suit. Okay. And and not for my lack of trying. Okay. I, I love my ex-wife, but yeah, she, yeah, was not always, yeah. she was not she was not always easy to communicate with. Well, we're all different people, aren't we? Yes. So <laughs> so I mean, but but in a lot of ways, you know, like I was asking for help and and seeking it in different ways i just didn't know the ways to seek just forced with finding a good psychiatrist and you know making some lifestyle adjustment i it you know at the time it probably would have fallen on deaf ears yeah to a degree yeah. but yeah. but i also knew i also knew that what i was doing was not sustainable and didn't feel okay yeah. And I needed, and I needed to find a way to, to kind of balance it out. So yeah, in a lot of ways, like my business over the years was a, a series of experimenting to try to find ways of <laughs> relieving some of this pressure, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And, and then things just like got worse <laughs> because all of a sudden I developed a new system that should allow things to be more efficient, but all that ended up happening was like cram more people in. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like it was, yeah, bring it was more just, workload. It was, 
yeah it was, it was stupid and you know and shame on me for that like at some point you know i'm a grown rational adult i could have stepped back at some point and said yeah. okay yeah it's difficult this is what this is what our budget needs to be yeah this is what this is the hours i'm going to invest into the you know what I mean? yeah, but yeah. i didn't do that i i just tried a bunch of different pathways to oh maybe this will succeed and work well okay it did yeah. maybe this will succeed and work well okay it did. like even geared up like all the time i did geared up you know i, I told adam right out of the gate you know because at first i didn't want to do it when he proposed it to me because i was already so busy mm-hmm. and he's like no dude like it won't be hard i'll do that <laughs> he said he, he said no he told me he goes i'll do everything like i'll set everything up you don't gotta worry about it it'll be my baby all you gotta do is show up once a week and record for okay. two three hours a week i'm like all right i can come into that and i did and then as time went on i got a little more involved with like posting on the forum and like writing the outline and stuff like that but but like overall you know i i never like it got to the point where geared up had a lot of sponsors and a decent amount of visibility i never took advantage hardly of any of it (laughs) like i got some i got some product from true true nutrition I got some product from uh, Project AD and some product from like Iron Rebel. Yeah. And, and don't, don't get me wrong, like there were companies that were great to us and I absolutely appreciate and respect them. Companies that we work with, Divine Nutrition was another one. Yeah. There, were a, there were a handful and I'm beyond grateful for that. I guess my only point is like, I never even attempted to tap into the opportunities that were associated with Geared Up. Yeah. Well, you were being because so I, successful in your own right, so... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I considered it a point like it would probably just be a waste of my time, actually, yeah. um, because I was doing so well, making so much money doing the training thing um, that it just ate up, you know, all my focus. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah, it hit a point where, like, we tried kind of transitioning it into an actual company Um where I had a bunch of trainers working under me and had a, had hired somebody to help with our advertising. And he wanted me blogging more first once a week, then twice a week, three times a week, four times a week, four times a week, blogging, podcasting, writing blogs for other trainers, teaching yeah, other yeah. trainers, mentoring. A, yeah. It just was stupid. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I should have made a decision at that point to either say, all right, I'm going to stay in my lane, be a trainer. Here's what my income is going to be. And I'll be yeah. good with that. Or I'm going to take a year and just step back and not make any money as a trainer, but build a company yeah, that yeah. will then be sustainable. I'll be the manager or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So. Instead of following the yellow brick road, so to speak. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but, you know, I, I had no training in business. And yeah, I that's know what I'm doing. But yeah. where are you now then, Dave? So I'm living in Providence, Rhode Island still. Um We've been here for about almost four years. Like it here. Um, we are talking about moving again. Uh, my ex-wife doesn't like the area, so she's kicking around some different ideas. And chances are, wherever she moves, I'll go to the same area because I want to stay in my daughter's life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're not, you're not back together then? No, no, no. We end up, so I went up going through, you know, the worst, the depression, everything. Um, no, it was terrible for nikki because she had to absorb all of it you know like there was nobody else there and i just really cut myself off yeah from everybody else that that had been a part of my life 
So, you know, she tried really hard for a good year. I don't know how long, a good year, year and a half at the end there. Once we moved up to Rhode Island, you know, tried to find different ways to get me help or to help me through things. And some worked, some did not, but it was just too much. And, um, you know, I had just been too big of a prick over the years um, <laughs> during our relationship. On top of that, you know, like looking back with 2020, yeah. we just were never a good fit. You know, like we yeah. never really were after the same things in life, and the same yeah. lifestyle and yeah. just always wanted to walk some pretty radically different paths. So um, it was hard to come to terms with that at first, you know, with all the grieving and loss and all that. But, yeah. you know, it is what it is. So ended up separating and then ultimately getting divorced uh, early. We finalized it early 2020. Okay. So. Mm, yeah. Shame. Well, live, living nearby, though, so we can co-parent. And, you know, my daughter's sleeping in her bed right now and uh, get her on okay. the weekends. Yeah, my daughter yeah. Raven, she'll yeah. be 12 in July, and we have a pretty pretty good time together. So, yeah, I mean, my daughter lives uh, one week with another and two weeks with me. So, okay, you know, also, uh, but yeah, that can be also, also challenging. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm doing this podcast at six in the morning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I know if I try if I try taking time out during the day, that's her time. I'll never hear the end of it. No. Yeah. Be beaten with a foam sword. Well she's twelve, so. you say she's twelve now? Oh uh, she's eleven. She'll be twelve well, Yeah. Months. Well she's grown into yeah. a young lady then, you know. Yeah. Oh, Starting yeah. to develop her own uh, identity, I suppose. Yeah. And it's funny all of a sudden becoming like really physically assertive and, you know, feeling out her body, just getting super tall, yeah. just changing super fast. So it's pretty cool to watch. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, you know, like, like coming through it all, finally, you know, finally getting some help through the worst of the depression and shit in 2018 and all that, you know, getting some help first with psychiatric meds to help with the depression, anxiety. Yeah. And then, that made enough of an impact that I was able to start, you know, like going to therapy and actually getting something out of it, getting something out of daily meditation and just starting to do a lot more reading on, you know, mental health and mental hygiene, how to better yeah, take care yeah. of yourself. Some of that. Um, the problem is I think I had had warning signs for years that I just ignored and powered through. Yeah. So by the time it, by the time it finally hit, it hit hard, yeah. <laughs> and it took, a, yeah. and it, and it, and it, and it ended up taking a, a while to dig back out of. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, in terms of like sleep, fixing my sleep patterns, um, fix, you know, pulling myself. The depression was not just garden variety depression, but it was actually like adrenal issue. Yeah, depression. Okay. Yeah, um, I ended up having noradrenaline deficiencies that had to be fixed um first before we could address like the regular depression that was there as well yeah. um just from years of chronic not sleeping and taking too much caffeine and stuff like that yeah so so you know we slowly dug out with that and then went through you know therapy and all that and uh, you know since then doing much much better and understand much more about myself and kind of what drives me and what i need to watch out for and yeah 
what I need to do to live a, a life that feels better. Yeah. Put it that yeah, way. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to say we would like to see more of you, you know, get you back on the circuit, but not to your own detriment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I hear you. No, I don't think I'll, you know, I'm, I'm back, you know, coaching clients again. Um, I, I continued, like, even when I started going through all the depression, everything was really bad, uh, mostly in 2018. My coaching business was still really big, but I continued to push it. Yeah. And fin- finally, at the end of 2018, as a means of um, trying to get a little bit better, you know, my wife and I had separated at this point. We're still yeah. going to try to work things out. But um, I decided to cut my client load in half, basically cut my business in half, see if it felt a little better. Yeah. It felt better for a while. You know, it was okay for a while, but then it just got worse again because I, <laughs> I hadn't taken enough of a step back. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, it kept getting worse. And I just hit a point where I just shut my business down completely and had no coaching clients for a while, starting yeah. uh, towards like, about 2019 and you know just had to take a really solid break from it and really just kind of get my head together and you know learn how to take better care of myself and all that and you know I've been back now to coaching for the past I kept a small handful of clients throughout that time but you know not many at all Yeah, yeah so and then I've been coaching more um just a higher volume of clients again since basically beginning of 2021. Okay. And, you know, I'm enjoying it. It feels good. And uh, it's nice to be helping people again and see them achieve their goals and, you know, motivating yeah. me, motivating me a little bit to maybe get my shit back together in this next month or two. So. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty difficult in, the, in this lockdown uh, situation we're in. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of it will depend where we end up moving to when we move. Okay. But I will say, like, my first year and a half of training, I trained all in my basement, you know, before I went to the gym. And I loved it. Like, yeah, I loved yeah. training. Loved just doing my own thing and less distraction, more meditative. Yeah. So, who knows? Who knows? But I don't think I'll ever be a competitor again. I have no desire to do that. I don't think I'll ever push push to be huge again. But, yeah. you know, just get back to consistent training and eating healthy and the march towards full recovery, if you will. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> the key to it is enjoying it, you know. Once you stop enjoying yeah, yeah. it, then then the wheels tend to fall off a little bit. So uh, just make sure right. you keep enjoying what you're doing. Don't uh, overload yourself again. Right. Oh, you yeah. Know? Absolutely. If, and if you need help, make sure you reach out for help, man. It's... Uh, yeah, I know you said you reached out and it fall it had fallen on deaf ears, but a little bit. But but that's the thing, you know. Like I, I personally found with all the psych stuff, once I started going through it, the most challenging thing for me was just kind of learning the lingo, the vocabulary, and learning yeah. how to commute, pro- communicate properly. Because you sit down with this, you know, medical professional or therapist or whatever. And they have very exact ways that they use words and describe things. And you're sitting there trying to describe this mishmash of feelings that's going on inside of you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, what are the problems? And learning how to address what are the problems. Yeah. You know, 
it become that becomes challenging. So it, it took a lot of reading and really learning a lot of the, the dialogue. I think a lot of the problem is that at least in, and I don't know, this is intrinsic to the sport, but for, for me, you know, bodybuilding is very much um, exercise of kind of learning to ignore how your body feels. Yeah, <laughs> you it is. Yeah, I mean? yeah. Like, I mean, you have to build up such, to... such a mental strength, right? you know, to go well, through and, the, the physical it, pain of it. And it, and it's about pushing yourself. Yeah. So push yourself on low calories, pushing yourself in the gym, pushing yourself with your cardio, all of that stuff. And bodybuilding promotes that and breeds yeah. that mentality. And with, and with that, you learn to, you know, kind of block out how you feel. Yeah. And, you know, that was a huge part of the problem was just not assessing as I went along, how am I really feeling? And, you know, how do yeah. we... Yeah. Uh, is is it good is it not good um certain things were really good like the fact that we were succeeding yeah but i but i always felt like i was kind of drowning with one arm coming up above the water you know what i mean like i was yeah, succeeding yeah. but but just barely yeah you know, scraping to make sure yeah somebody um, needed to throw your life jacket yeah, yeah. yeah. Do, do you think you would have succeeded as well as you had if you would listen to your body, though, David, as well. Uh, well, again, you know, you, you, at that point, you can get into the subjective discussion of what is success. Yeah. I think I would have been more successful in the sense that I could have built something sustainable, not melted down, possibly avoided a divorce, possibly avoided shutting my business down, rebuilding it you know, relocating, all that stuff. Yeah, I think that I could have been more successful in that sense. Um, but, you know, at the same time, it it's hard to say. Like, that's also what made me successful in so many ways. Um, when you look at, like, I always love the example of Dorian Yates. You know, people talk about training and training styles. And should I train with volume or should I train high intensity style? And you always look at Dorian as the shining example of a high intensity approach to training. And with Dorian, it seemed to allow for a degree of density and mass that was never really paralleled. You know, Ronnie was there, but. Dorian seemed to achieve it just through sheer willpower, which is why so many, but so many bodybuilders, including myself, kind of look up to him as the pinnacle of the sport in a lot of ways. Um, and with that, you know, he ended up tearing his body apart, like the way he tore his biceps off the bone, the way he tore his triceps, the way he tore his hip, kind of put him into retirement prematurely. So then you get a lot of spectators of the sport that criticize, you know, it's someone like Sean Ray or something like that. They'll say, oh, if Dorian had been smarter and, you know, had known when yeah. to back it down. Yeah. But he was also, but he was also six time Mr. Olympia. Yeah. You know, Sean, yeah. Sean was never, Sean was never Mr. Olympia. And I know he would trade just about anything for that. Yeah. So it, it becomes a question of, you know, what, what drove Dorian allowed him to be the greatest but it also kind of broke him in a lot of ways premature i mean like look at ronnie another great example yeah. like his feats were on literally his video was called the unbelievable because yeah. he was unbelievable and he was 
Um, and every pro still talks about him in those words, like, oh man, it's just the workouts were ungodly and un- otherworldly and all the stuff. They're still in awe, you know, yeah. 20 years later, they're still in yeah. awe of this, of this giant among men, but he's a cripple, you know, yeah. he's a straight up cripple. And I'm sure in a lot of ways, he's very happy and proud of the life he lived, but I'm going to share in a lot of ways. And this is where you get in debates with people on online and whatnot whatever i'm gonna say it if you're living in pain all the time like you're not really happy in no, certain ways sure. yeah, like yeah. You're, you're you're or or you're happy and miserable at the same time yeah which which sucks yeah so you know it's, it's the point i have this mentality that like this is the price you pay for greatness like this you're gonna yeah. wear yourself down wear yourself down to a nub and that's fine just like that's that's what it takes yeah um but, you know, so it allowed me to be really success, successful, successful in a lot of things. Yeah, successful in a lot of things. But, but it made me hate life in a lot of ways, you know, yeah. that eventually I, I wasn't willing to live with any longer. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a shame, man. It's a shame how it all comes out in the end, you know. Yeah, one minute, but... one minute you live in the dream and the next minute you're, <laughs> you're, you're scratching <laughs> You're scratching around on your knees. And, yeah, but uh, it makes no sense. But I think the end game for anyone that you have this conversation with is are you legitimately to a spot now where you're kind of grateful for it all? Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and again, I've gotten to the point now where am I where I want to be in life? 100%. No, but I more or less enjoy my life and what i'm doing with my time right now yeah more than anything i'm enjoying the time time that i get with my daughter and that um we've built just an incredible relationship um we're best friends and try to spend as much time together as we can you know since we only get to each other two two to three days a week when i have that time with her i really try to make it focused where i'm not you know dicking around on my phone or dealing with a million competitors at once or whatever yeah. as it as it was during the first chunk of her life you know yeah, yeah. Uh, that that and you know grateful for the fact of getting back into music after a 15 year hiatus and finding that i'm so good at it and it's a lot of fun and you know all this stuff and then after these last couple of years even though for the last year and a half two years i've been out of like the depression and and the worst of the darkness um you know i was still like working through the divorce and i hadn't talked to anybody in several years so i had like a lot of built up kind of shame and anxiety about just talking and being open about it with everybody so you know these last several months just kind of finally shaking that off and saying screw it like just put yourself back out there talk openly about your shit everybody does it's part of yeah. getting older it's yes. part of going up everybody everybody goes through it and um you know with that i'm very grateful for the fact just these last few months how much my coaching business is starting to pick back up and i'm enjoying it again and i'm looking i'm excited you know again yeah. for the first time for the first time in a long time i'm yeah. excited to see what comes these next few months if i start working out a little bit again get back into coaching again um you know see what life has in store for me yeah. so Brilliant. it took, take it it took a while yeah just What's take that? it easy oh i am 
for sure. No, I'm doing a much better job. And that's, you know, like I, every night before I go to bed, I write out a schedule for myself for the next day, just write out an email schedule, yeah. you know, what time I'm going to wake up and I make sure to set a time, side time every morning, first thing in the morning, I get up, I meditate. I spend a while reading, um, you know, just trying to just really relax through my mornings. So I have plenty of time to ease into my day and, um, you know, have continued doing therapy with one of my uh, online clients. Um, she's actually a hypnotherapist. So I still meet with her every other week or once a week. Yeah. Um, more than anything, you know, when I, when I started to finally address my problems, in 2017, 2018, I wanted to kind of get to the bottom of things, you know, because yeah, I knew yeah. I, I I had known for years that there were I was having certain issues, and they seemed to be re repetitious. So yeah. if I if I was going to address it, you know, I wanted to really learn what was going on. So I spent a couple years, these last couple years, really reading as much as I could, just about psychology, psychiatry, um, you know, the drug side of it, the brain side of it, yeah. um, the, the practical side of applying different therapeutic techniques. Um, and, and again, that's kind of how I am, you know, like when I get yeah. into something, yeah. I throw myself into it a little bit to, to learn it better and, yeah. you know, make sure I really get it. So, yeah, that's been my focus these last few years, but now kind of putting it all to better use and being consistent with it, and, you know, to some degree helping other people with it. Like I have, I've talked to a lot of people in this last year that whether it was a client of mine or just an old friend of mine or whatever, who had various mental health issues, anxiety issues, sleep issues, stuff like that, where... I was able to at least help explain some of it to them better, you know, yeah, have a conversation, yeah. ha have a conversation with them. Because the first thing is just people um, have a hard time op owning up to that, you know, they saying, do, yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, people don't like to talk about that stuff. I certainly didn't. I don't think anybody does. No. But, but once they open up to you and, you start to they they build some trust with you and realize yeah, they're not yeah. alone not alone that you've had trouble as well um you know it's been nice that i've been through so much of it um with that i've been able to help a lot of other people with just supplement recommendations and behavioral modification recommendations and yeah stuff like that you know that's helped them to just feel better and make sure they don't start spinning off the rails um, <laughs> yeah you'll need to have a chat with me off the air i guess <laughs> right <laughs> see if i can sort out my sleep issues <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah god man i got such a bad sleep i have such a bad sleep but i also work shift work, you do you know, so that, that that doesn't help at all yeah what, what do you do yeah uh, i work in a truck manufacturing company and uh, okay. I, work, I work three shifts. And uh, so when I'm on night shift, you know, I, I'm lucky if I sleep three hours a day, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah, by the yeah. end of the week, I'm a wreck. So, and, yeah, you know, yeah. especially at my age as well. I mean, shift work is a, is, a, is a young man's game, really. I mean, I don't think you should be working shifts when you're okay. over 50. 
I mean, when I was in my in my twenties, I was working three shifts, and I I never had a problem. I could sleep for eight or nine hours a day, you know. But now yeah. with uh, with the pressure of life, I've also got a young a young daughter, and uh, I've got to take her to school, pick her up from school, and you know. Plus, I'm working all right. through the night, and yeah, it's, it, it it definitely weighs you down, and you get to a point where it's like, well, man, how am I going to keep going? <laughs> you know. Yep. I know it. So, I got to that point for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, that, and that's the thing, you know, like so much of it is just learning how to kind of check in with yourself several times throughout the day and just really minor, minor stuff. You know what I mean? Like a lot of people have asked me, what have I, what have I done that's helped me change? Yeah. You know, cause I'm not taking any, I'm not taking any psych meds anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, just behavioral change and, so much of it is just <laughs> as corny as it sounds like having several points throughout the day where you just take two minutes five minutes whatever you can afford and just sitting down and breathing <laughs> yeah, yeah you know doing 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 almost like a mini meditation like just blocking everything out not checking your phone not responding to text yeah. not worrying about any of it not letting your mind race at a million miles an hour you know if you can self-impose that throughout you know a, a couple times throughout yeah. a really hectic day yeah i think it can be a something of a game changer yeah. you know but it's just retaining because i still have well my life isn't super super busy right now but like a couple months ago i started working a job at amazon doing package delivery in a yeah. van yeah you know, just four days a week and I'm coaching outside of that. And with the Amazon gig, like the pacing, they want you to go fast. And again, it's just kind of who I am. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to, I'm going to rock it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I'm the fastest dude on our fleet, even though I'm a lot older than a lot of these kids. Yeah. And um, it's because when I get there, like when we start, I just go full tilt from beginning to end. I take no breaks. I take no rests. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just kind of, kind of how I am. It's a game to see how fast I can get out of there. Um, but even with that, you know, making sure on either end of it, I'm putting in kind of these momentary shutdown, breathing, relaxation, you know, finding times throughout your day or in the beginning of your day or at the end of your day. I think it's harder at the end, hard, harder at the end of the day, but finding times during your day where you can kind of reconnect with your body and how you actually feel, yeah, and yeah. just kind kind of be present without be attending to eight million things at once. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's and it's very corny and basic and not super advanced. You know what I mean? But <laughs> but literally, I lost the ability to do that for just yeah, years yeah. and years and years and years and years. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think doing that, it'll at least keep you in the ballpark <laughs> yeah. where you need to be. Because yeah. if something really, really wrong is happening, you'll, you'll find out before it happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe you recognize the signs a bit sooner. Right. Yep. So, uh, okay. Well, I think that's, uh, that's about all we got, Dave. Yeah. Let you get all to right, your daughter. Fine. She must be getting up soon. Oh, probably not for a couple more hours, but we'll see. Yeah. That's all right. I, I got I got plenty to keep me occupied this morning. So, well, but yeah, it was on. a blast coming on. I appreciate it, guys. And uh, yeah. just let me know. Let me know when it's going to come out. 
For anybody who happens to be watching along and is interested in the work that I'm doing, you mind if I plug my stuff? No, no, sorry, go on. Give us your socials and... uh... Um, Yeah, so anybody that's interested in finding out about my coaching services, what I do as a coach for contest prep, for just body transformation, anything like that, um, you can go on either Facebook or Instagram, look up Team Warrior Within, or you can look up David Johnston Training. So on Instagram, it's at TWW Training. And on Facebook, it's Team Warrior Within. And you'll see, lately I've been posting every single day um, a different person that I've transformed, you know, from the years that I've been coaching. So I've been doing yeah, that yeah, over yeah. the last couple, last couple months, just having fun, showing off some people I've worked with. And, yeah. um, you know, we'll see what ends up going on with social media and all that stuff in the coming months. If I'm going to put a little more energy into it, get back to writing a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll put your links up anyway. So in the show notes and stuff, and we'll promote it on our, on our Facebook page. So and I do follow you on your uh, on your socials, so I do see the photographs of the transformations every day. Yeah, so, yeah cool. some of them are quite impressive. Working on some new ones now. Yeah, putting together some new ones. Yeah, that'll be cool. Got a couple, got a couple awesome competitors getting ready to uh, do their thing this season, and yeah. you know I can't wait wait to see what they can get done. So yeah, okay, cool, man. Brilliant. Yeah. So we'll right. leave it there. Okay, thanks, David. Thanks for your time. Thanks for sharing Thank your story you with so us. Thank you so much. And, there uh, yeah. you, David. It's been, been a pleasure, man. Thank yeah, you, man. thanks, David. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. And we're back. Yeah. As Hello. if by magic. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing technology. I, I know. I probably messed up at the end of the video, but uh, at the end of the interview, as I normally do with my yeah. pause, pause recording. But luckily, I'm uh, getting better at editing, so uh, it's still not magic. quite the same. It's still not quite right, but the magic of TV, it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, you know, a bit like Benny Hill, probably. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Benny Hill had better continuity than us, but <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, oh, I was going to say something. I can't remember where it was now. I need to start making notes. Okay. Show notes. Yeah. Yeah, all, all I would say, I mean, obviously the, the, the podcast that, um, you know, we've just seen with Dave is, is um, touches a lot on, on mental health, uh, which obviously is a very important subject. And I think as, as men, uh, we're too afraid to admit to it sometimes. So I think, you know, it's really important if, if anybody out there is, um, is feeling unwell or, you know, not 100%, you know, don't be afraid to, uh, to go out and ask for some help and get some information because uh, it is really really important and I think you know David has you know sort of shown that really you know he, he did say you know he just kept ignoring it ignoring it and pushing his body and his mind to, yeah. to extremes that it couldn't go to and in the end it, 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 it sort of broke unfortunately and that's kind of like what happens so really you want to yeah. try and try and fix it before you get to that stage but it yeah. is a you know, very important subject very important that you know, yeah, so that's a uh, message that we that we touched on and we try to get across in this episode was, uh, especially for men, like you said, they brush it under the carpet. Yeah. But come on, men. Come on, men. <laughs> come on, men. Come on, guys. You know, sometimes it is okay to tell us, tell people that you're not okay, you know. Yeah. And uh, really, if, you, if you're struggling, you, I mean, you can always mention it in the group if you don't, you know, if you are, 
if you want to be a bit more public about it. Mm. You know, you can always drop a drop a message in the I'm in the group. I'm sure somebody will talk to you about some stuff, and I know I will, or Dave, you probably will. And uh, yeah, you know, we're always here for uh, for for yeah. a, for a natter. We can always drop about something. So uh, yeah, or if you know, if people don't feel that they want to dwell and they want to PM us, yeah, if you PM DM, us, you know, just just PM away, and we'll you know we'll talk to you about it. Yeah, obviously no we're not experts in it, and we wouldn't claim to be experts in it, but um, I'm nowhere near. <laughs> we got some viewers that were happy to listen to every, anybody that's got something to say. So that's uh, right. I mean, I went through a rough time uh, when my mother died, and uh, I was really rock bottom. And I did actually phone the Samaritans once, and they were mm. about as useful as a fucking bag of dog shit. Oh dear. So uh, I don't know uh, if that's changed. So that's uh, you know, good. I'm always I'm always available for a listen. So uh, yeah, that's it. You know. That's it. Me too. I'm the same. I'm the same. So yeah, so don't don't uh, suffer in silence, guys. Yeah, definitely. That's really, really, really important. And I think, you know, I think the the, the message from Dave was well, David calls himself David. Um, David, yeah. He was a big a big guy, you know, macho, doing a, a bodybuilding sport, three hundred and fifteen pounds of solid muscle, and um, you know, to hear him talking about it for me it was really really enlightening and you know i know we touched on our previous podcast about tyson fury you know these guys do go through it they're all human we forget they're human sometimes and the yeah, mind is yeah. fragile compared to the body it is so, unfortunately um, yeah it's very very important to talk about so i think you know what we'll do is we'll in the in the links we'll post some um websites that you know perhaps people if if they need to talk like mind and you know there's there's lots of other other organizations and you know yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll make some references to those as well in the in the just chops in yeah and the just and the and the um the members page because um you know it is it is important very it is. important it is. yeah 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 it is okay to say you're not okay that's the message yeah. i want to get across really definitely you know too many people do do brush it under the carpet you know we've lost uh lost a few people in our lives and uh some through through uh, suicide, unfortunately, mm. and uh, yeah, it's a terrible thing, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. Cheers. So, uh, thanks Cheers. for listening to that episode. Yeah. If you if you've listened to it, thanks for listening. But on a brighter note, I did make a put. <laughs> I'm such a fucking idiot, I. <laughs> okay. On a brighter note, I did make a post in the group the other day. Yep. Saying that the the videos were neck and neck between uh, uh, Dirty, uh, the Big Dirty, mm -hmm. and James Kennedy on YouTube on our YouTube channel, they had sixty one views each. That's right. But the Big Dirty have just crept into the lead with sixty two views. They've overtaken them, I think. They have. They've overtaken James Kennedy. Oh. So now, all you James... James Kennedy fans need to get on there and watch James Kennedy to get him back in front, and then yes. the Big Dirty lot. He could get on there and watch it and get the big dirty back in front. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> you ain't gonna win anything, but you go on your your band being at the bottom. That's right. Maybe they can win a CD. Yeah. Maybe we can get in touch with James or uh, I tell you what we can do. I can get in touch with James and the Big Dirty actually. And the first video that gets to a hundred views, maybe we can send that hundredth viewer. Uh, a CD from either oh, one so of the let's either one of the bands. Make a fear. So we'll wrap, we'll get all the viewers together and okay. raffle 
So, because somebody might have watched the first and said, well, I'm the first viewer and I'm going to win it. So if we, if we put them all in a hat, okay. or, you could, or with your IT experience now, you could probably do some sort of clever thing in Excel and we'll pick out the name at random out of the hundred viewers and they could win summer. Okay. And yeah. the, the easiest way to get, to tell us that you've watched the video actually would be to go to the website, www.justchopson.com and sign up to the mailing list. So just put your email address in there and then I can email everybody back because I've made a group and then I can email everyone and they can say, yeah, they watched which video because we won't know which video they've watched, but they can tell me which video they've watched and then they can win a prize. That sounds good. But we have to get to 100 views. Yeah. On both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and the first one wins. I like that. Yeah. Let's so the first one, first yeah. one wins a prize. Well, I, I, I fancy doing a prize for our um, for our Chopsy Lock group. So we're at 97 members. No, I checked today. It was so 99. 99, is it? I think so, yeah. Oh, I think so it was 99 today. Okay, so if we get to 100, then we need to have a think about um, doing another raffle and perhaps what we could uh, what we could do for that. So I'll have, I'll have a think about that this week. And if we reach a, if we reach 100, we'll, uh, we'll do a raffle for that as well. And some lucky member could win something very, very special. It could be a first off of something. Okay. First yeah. off. Yeah. Could be a, a prototype. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay. intrigued. Okay. <laughs> I got I got an idea. Have you invented something? No. No, oh. I'm not. No. Okay. no nothing, that, nothing that exciting. <laughs> but it could well, be I'm a intrigued. prototype of summer. Yeah. I'll have a I'll have a think. Okay, I don't know why you're going to make a prototype of it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll do that as well. We'll do that as well. All right, very good. I'm, I'm yeah. really intrigued. I might have to sign up myself. I'll be that hundredth <laughs> member. <laughs> no, I'm already a member. I just joined the other week. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a look at that as well. So yeah, I think perhaps what we'll do then we will put a, a separate post in there telling people you need to watch it and once we get 100 views it could be uh, a bit of merch coming your way yeah yeah okay merch yeah Ooh, have we got merch not yet oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be some prototype merch it could be way. a pen yeah it could be a cup it could be, it could be a t-shirt it could be a baseball cap we don't, we don't know what we're gonna we're gonna make yet or we're gonna merchandise yeah <laughs> Could be some pants because people are probably running out of pants now in lockdown. Yeah, well, I bought my socks, so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sock friendly again. Good. Well, <laughs> I've had it for a few weeks now. <laughs> Your feet are probably more friendly rather than being sock friendly. Well, I very rarely wear socks around the house, so uh, I tend to only wear them to work. All to right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I don't like having socks on my feet. No. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't wear socks very often, actually. Yeah. Maybe we'll uh, get some embroidered socks on the go. Yeah. Could you do. do understand that our initials are JC, don't you? Yes. So uh, you could have some JC socks. Don't cut your nails in them. 
Oh, dear me. We have the God Squad after us now. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, yeah, we, well, I'll tell you what we need to do as well. We, we've got all these interviews coming up and we have to have a couple of our own shows. Yes. Because yeah. we do tend to have a bit of a laugh and uh, maybe yeah. people are, miss, are missing out. <laughs> I'm missing out on our dry humour, yeah. or my dry yeah. humour anyway. Because the, the most watched one is our first one of our first ones, or the second ones, I think. Yeah, the first one, just yeah, like the, first a, one had, uh, the first one had 81 views. We were just talking nonsense. Yeah, the second one didn't I, do so good, but uh, the first... <laughs> 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 what did we say in the first I think one? Neil I, was my... the second one. <laughs> I think... <laughs> I think Neil must have got bored halfway through yeah, watching the we second one. We need to get one. Neil to watch the second one 50 <laughs> times then. <laughs> oh dear. All right then, mate. I'm going to crack on cool. on your uh, Sunday. I'm going to have some dinner and uh, yeah, hope so everyone enjoys yeah. the interview. Yeah. Oh, uh, before, before oh no, I just said it was Sunday. I'm going to release this on Wednesday. <laughs> it is Wednesday. It is Wednesday. I'm going to release this on a midweek. Yeah, so As a bonus episode. Tell, I won't tell anybody the result of Formula One because obviously that happened Sunday and it's Wednesday today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but what I have got, I've been I've been supporting a Steelhouse T-shirt during this um, podcast, and they're a, yeah. they're a local um, festival to me. Uh, I've been at Bevale. Um Obviously, it didn't happen last year, unfortunately, because of COVID. Yeah. Um, I'm still hoping it's going to be happening this year. Anthrax had just pulled out because of. Um, because of COVID, although my dad said anthrax is worse than COVID, so you don't want him coming over anyway. That's right. They're <laughs> so, sending uh, through the post. Yeah. And I said, but the other band up there is therapy, so we could all probably do a bit with a bit of that anyway, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, check it out. It's a great little festival. It happens over three days. I'll um, I'll put it in our socials because there's a um, there's a like a members group called Steelhouse arch which um I, they've got thousands of people on there so um yeah it's a great little festival and uh, and check it out we've had some big names up there in the past yeah and hopefully in the future so okay. um oh, yeah. i can't believe anthrax are pulled out then got in yeah i was i was looking forward to that because yeah. um there was another band that i liked when i was a kid as well yeah so um but they obviously they can't travel from the states unfortunately and oh, I think, right. okay okay i think all the other bands on there are british Possibly, I think. Therapy so, British. I thought they were American. No, Anthrax are. Ther are therapy British? I don't think so. Oh, I don't know. Maybe they're already over here then. They haven't pulled out yet. Okay. Maybe they'll be the next band to go then. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, there's lots of lots of homegrown um, bands on there this year. So you've got the likes ones we've mentioned, like Chris Barris, those damn crows, Wayward Sons. Um, Mason Hill are on there. Um, Raiders on there. Raiders. Who? Raiders. Not sure. Not sure. I'll have to have a look. Probably. Yeah, there's lots, lots of good homegrown bands on there, and it's it's awesome. You know, you got the tickets are dirt cheap. I think it's like eighty quid for the weekend, um, okay. and you get to see twenty odd bands, something like that. Right, cool. okay. The beer's only four quid a pint instead of like twenty five pound a pint from Wembley if you go and see these bands in Wembley driving yeah, so yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, yeah it's a really really good weekend um, but it always pisses down the rain so we're wellies because I guarantee it'll rain guarantee okay. 
mm. every weekend. It, it rained. So when they cancelled it last year, it rained on the weekend of Steelers when it should have been. Oh, believe it or not. So we had, it was like 48 degrees C. And then it came to the Friday, it hammered down with rain. And then on the Monday, it picked back up to 48 degrees C again. Unbelievable. I don't believe it was 48 degrees C in fucking Wales. I was amazing. Absolutely awesome it was, yeah. <laughs> That's Las Vegas temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> so you're running I, a bit of a gamble, eh? <laughs> I had to turn the octave off. It was that hot. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Steve, check it out. All right, guys. cool. All right. And on that. Oh, I got some news. Yeah. Bodybuilding News Radio might be no more. Because uh, VJ apparently has texted Scott after doing the show for oh, six years, maybe seven years, I think. Right. Um, VJ has texted Scott and said he doesn't want to do it anymore. So that's a bit of bad news for the, for the bodybuilding nerds community. Oh, right. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's great, great little show. You should listen to on a Friday. So I messaged Scott and said, that's really succeeding since he's uh, left you by text message after so long. Mm. <laughs> it's like splitting up with your girlfriend, I suppose. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, but uh, I'm always available to go on the show. So. Yeah, do it. <laughs> Get on there. I just spent two hours plugging my own show. <laughs> <laughs> or our own show. Just... That's it. Get on there. Get on All there right. and plug it. All right, mate. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Enjoy your evening. Okay. Yeah, hope we feel better. Yeah, me too. And uh, we'll leave it there. Yeah. Ciao, lads. Yeah. Take Ciao, care. Neil. Ciao, Neil. I know you'll listen to the end. Try, mate. Try. <laughs> That's all right.